What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Wrestling Omakase. It is episode number 203. Uh, this week, very pleased to be joined by a returning guest, Mr. Chris Samsa from the Sport of Pro Wrestling. Hi, Chris. Hello. Thanks for having me. Uh, you're very welcome. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm good. It's a beautiful day here in Chicago. Uh, we finally got some, I mean, super nice weather. So I'm uh, staring at it out my window as I speak to you about uh, pro wrestling, which is how I prefer to spend my time. <laughs> like, to, I, I went to go get my uh, second uh, Pfizer vaccine today, so that was great. But uh, I wish it could have been tomorrow, because today was like low 40 still, and tomorrow's going to be like 57 somehow. Here there you go. So but... Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much what we've got going here. It's like low, like mid 50s. There's still like a ton of snow on the ground, though, yeah. which is like real kind of messes with your mind because you go outside and you're like you're like oh it's so nice and then you see like piles of snow that are still here from when we got just like so much snow so um but yeah it's it looks like it's gonna be a looks like we might have turned the corner here but i would hate to jinx it yeah the snow's been gone here for a while we did get we got we got a bunch of it but it's all long melted but yeah um so far no side effects from the second vaccine for people listening who might be wondering but uh you know, it's only been about five hours, four hours. I don't know. I guess we'll see. Because usually, like the second shot is worse, right, for most people. But they, but sometimes if you already had the coronavirus, like I unfortunately did last year, uh, you know, the first shot is worse. So the first shot was pretty bad for me. Like I had like a very mild fever, and like I was kind of out of it for like two days. So I'm hoping, uh, which they say is like you know because you already have the antibodies, right? So I'm hoping this second shot is less very mild, but it's funny that you say like you had bad 
side effects or whatever and that was just like a little fever yeah and, and like you were like kind of out of it so i mean i'll take that over oh, uh you know a deadly virus uh <laughs> any day i mean i trust me it's much much better than uh the two and a half weeks i spent with covid so Oof. it was awful yeah like the worst illness if people don't know this covid is bad <laughs> people, <laughs> people figure that out by now i think but yeah, unless you get like really lucky, because my my girlfriend Nicole, she assumed she must have had it because we didn't do any of the things you're supposed to do. Like she, um, you know, she still shared a bed with me and all that because we just we just don't have a lot of room in this apartment. And you know, she assumed she must have gotten it and just like been one of these like asymptomatic people or like you know her throat kind of scratch was scratchy or something. And I'm like, yeah, I wish that was what I had because I had like <laughs> the worst symptoms. It's, it's like the, imagine like your worst flu times like five, and that was uh that was my experience with COVID nineteen. So uh, yeah. would not recommend, but uh I'm happy to be vaccinated now, so I probably probably don't have to worry about that again for a while. Go so. get back into the casinos and do all <laughs> the things that you want to do. Yeah, so. We'll say maybe like I was thinking like late May for something like that maybe hopefully like have the have the level of it come down in the, like in the area too you know just to be extra yeah. careful yeah you just don't want to be passing it around right yeah exactly but uh you know we'll say you know it'll be it'd be fun to do that kind of stuff I mean I'm, I've been hanging out with like you know like one or two friends you know since I got the vaccine shot and that's like been my my big exciting thing I haven't done in months is like just seeing people. Who are other than who I live with. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, like the CDC put out that guidance that was like, oh, unvaccinated people can hang out together and they can hang out with unvaccinated people if they're low risk. I'm like, yeah, everybody's been doing that. Like, <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I think we, like, Quentin and I are both vaccinated. We did that episode a few weeks ago. You know, my other friend Ethan's getting vaccinated or just got vaccinated. And we're like, yeah, we're talk talking about going to a restaurant together or something. It's like, Nobody was waiting around for the CDC to be like, we can hang out with other vaccinated people, really? Uh, never would have guessed. <laughs> Thanks for telling us. <laughs> yeah, what a, what a what a statement to make. Yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> maybe maybe you don't need masks and like 12 feet apart when we're both vaccinated. I never, never would have guessed. That's literally the point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really like, I don't know. If you read some people on Twitter, you'd think like, like these people must never have left their houses like before COVID. Because they seem like really, they seem weirdly excited to, like, have no one ever leave their houses again. But it's like, I'm sorry. At some point, when the entire when everybody who wants to get vaccinated, uh, in this country can get vaccinated, I I can only like, you know, people are gonna go live their lives. I mean, at that point, if you're choosing not to be vaccinated, that's not really my problem. <laughs> I mean, you know, I can't. Really, that is. I can't. That's really indeed. Help you. That's on them yeah. at that point, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're like if if you're like immunocompromised and you can't and vaccines don't work for you, that's a totally different thing. But like, I don't know, like the people who just are not going to get vaccinated no matter what. It's like, can I can only like hold off my life for so long for those folks? I mean, just go get it. What do you want me to tell you? Isn't that what they've all been saying? Yeah, I yeah. don't know. But what we're here talking not, about, not the place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're here talking about some professional wrestling. So. We're going to do something weird on this show. Very weird for Wrestling on the Couch. We're going to talk about some American professional wrestling. Uh, we did watch, We did both watch AEW Revolution. And it's been a long time since I did a full AEW pay-per-view review on this show. I think it's been since... 
I mean, definitely since 2019, I, I can't. We definitely did Double or Nothing, the very first show. I don't know if we even did All Out. We might have, but yeah, I, that prob that was probably the last one. I may I don't I don't think we did Full Gear. We could have in 2019. I mean, but uh, you know, I definitely didn't do any shows in 2020, and you know, there's a number of reasons for that. No, number one is I I just I I don't love the promotion to begin with, and. You know, it's definitely not my favorite. And, you know, people do, like, I feel like pay more attention to you when you talk about AEW, so that that's nice. But, like, it's just not my favorite promotion to cover. But much more, or my favorite promotion to watch, you know, let alone cover. But a much bigger reason for why, um, you know, I haven't been covering it, like, even for the pay-per-views all this time, is because people are fucking babies about All Elite Wrestling, and about especially about any critique of all elite, all elite wrestling, and at some point it gets to become like not worth the goddamn trouble. I don't know. You don't have to agree with this hot take if you don't want to, but it's like there's some folks on Twitter. Like there is no way to lose followers faster on Twitter than to criticize anything AEW does, and there's some folks who just take like any critique of AEW like a personal attack, and like you know WWE fans do that a lot too. But like I mean I'm not gonna talk about WWE anyway because it's just really beyond horrible and not even worth watching but yeah i don't know like the 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 AEW fans they get very oversensitive now i decided to cover revolution because i have been watching the tv the dynamites over the last couple of months and really enjoying them so i was like well i'm not gonna let uh you know some oversensitive AEW fans control what i watch and i was hoping the revolution show would be really good uh, I guess the spoiler will be, I don't think it was really good, but <laughs> as we'll get to. But yeah, I don't know. They're just, AEW fans are kind of babies, you know? They're just kind of, like, really over... Like, I I can come on here and criticize, like, New Japan's booking or, like, the double title thing or, you know, different stuff or, like, the way they booked this unification or anything like that and not really have to worry about, like, anybody being a baby. But AEW, like, I don't know. Like, there's so many, like, AEW fans that are just fucking babies. It's all, it's all I can really say about it, but I don't know if you I want think to. The, I think the AEW fan base is really protective because it's like this new thing and it's a lot closer to what they want pro wrestling to be. At least that's that's my perception of it. Um, and I think that with that said, and especially because the WWE started this kind of pseudo war, right? By throwing NXT at it at the same time on the TV, right? So they've created this culture. This culture has come about that they have to defend each other, yeah. right? Or they, they have to pick a side and defend right. each other, right? And like, I um, I I enjoy AEW. I've been to a couple of live shows. I'm in Chicago. So like, we've been a good city for AEW. I was at All Out. I was at All In. I was at Revolution last year. I was at All In uh, too. There you go. We're at the same building. There you go. Yeah. Um, And that was, you know, like an All In was it's it's really if you were in that building like you have to have uh you probably at least have to have some sense that you want to pay attention to what they're going to uh, all these guys are going to end up doing next now all in was a little different because you had guys like okada and Rey mysterio and like you had a you had a lot going on Ibushi right but was there ibushi right so yeah <laughs> no like when some aw fans don't want to hear that he'll probably never be a full-time <laughs> aw guy I mean, who knows, right? Like, uh, stranger things can happen. But so, you know, and I, I generally enjoy AEW. It's, I, it's not my top watch. Like, that's obviously New Japan based on what I might do with my time, right? But um, 
yes, takes on last night's show are going to be um, scrutinized. So yeah, I mean, look, it's just there is if some of it's not their, I mean, some of it's not their fault. Like where, you know, you know, Rich Crate was making a good point uh, this morning in the in the voice wrestling Slack, where it's like, you know, they're the only promotion that like people actually watch, and so many people don't even watch WWE anymore. Where like you know everybody logs on, everybody's watching it live. Whereas like with New Japan, ex- really except for Wrestle Kingdom, I mean people are watching it on a much more. Uh, I mean a lot of people still watch New Japan, but they're watching it like you know over the the course of like twenty four to forty eight hours, and because so many people can't watch it live, so you know you, you don't have that like tornado of takes that I think happens with AEW, and I get that like you know some of the AEW fans you know, feel like people hate on the promotion too much. But, like, some of the stuff we're, we're going to talk about when we talk about Revolution, like, they they do, they do get a fucking pass from people on stuff that I don't think a lot of other companies would get a pass from uh, the same folks from. And it does fucking annoy me. Uh, so, you know, that that maybe that comes out, um, and I try to be even subconsciously, and I end up being more critical of them than I even mean to be. But it just feels like some of the shit, like, like people like I might as well just say this now before we even get to the to the two promotions of the reviews. People complained so much about evil and Jay White and interference in New Japan matches. I felt like that's all I've been listening to since fucking August. And I don't even disagree with all the complaints. Like, you know, I came on here and buried the shit out of Castle Attack Night One uh a week or two ago because, you know, it did get really fucking repetitive having all the interference on, uh, you know, in every in every single match on the show. And then I watched Revolution, and there is a run-in on seven, or run-in or interference, in seven out of eight of those matches. And the eighth has a post-match run-in. So really, there's a run-in on the, every match on the card. And if you don't believe me, I have the receipts. I have, I have it all in my notes, believe me. Uh, and, like... Nobody seemed to give a shit. Like, the lack of people caring about the number of runs on the show. I'm just like, if you would ask me before the show happened, like, hey, John, if AEW does a run-in in every match, uh, literally every match, will people complain? I would have said yes. I think people probably would complain about that. But it's like, it just seemed to get shrugged off so easily. And yeah, it does annoy me after listening to, like, eight months of uh, New Japan interference discourse. I'm like... Why Why do they get a pass on this? It is really, really bizarre to me. And, you know, I've heard, like, people be like, oh, well, you know, I can like interference in one company and not like it in the other company. But it's, but it's like, I don't care. Like, interference doesn't really bother me on a micro level. But, like, when it's in every match on the show, I still thought people would complain about that and get sick of it. And they didn't seem to care. And it really did, like, a lot of people did not seem to care at all. And it really did surprise me. But I, I, Well, on that, I think it's a little bit of what the fan base is used to. Like, it, it's, it's, that's not uncommon on their TV. But I, I feel like it's well placed on the TV because you're building towards something. Uh, you're building towards a blow off, right? Yeah. They, so, they have quarterly pay per views. Like, this is not right. like they're even a monthly show. This They run four big shows a year. And one of the four was filled with this shit in every single match. Like, that part of... Like, the fact that I haven't heard that many people make 
such a simple statement about it. It's just, it still boggles my mind. It's almost like, uh, I think it's recognized as something different in AEW than it is in New Japan, though. Like, in New Japan, it's ruining, like, this work, you know, the the product that people, the reason people enjoy New Japan. So, like, I guess I, I'll play devil's advocate here, I guess, a little bit. I don't know that that's exclusively or even... Um, the majority of why people are listening or uh, watching AEW, they're watching it more for those stories and, and some good, great, you know, work rate matches. I mean, Phoenix is Ray Phoenix is there. Kenny Omega is there and they've got good, really good wrestlers. Um, And, but I think that like evil represented um, like the, the evolution of New Japan away to some people, evil represented the evolution of New Japan away from what they like fell in love with it for. Whereas AEW is so young and so, um, so I mean, young. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the only way to say it. Like they're so young that they don't have that identity established as much. So I think, I mean, I don't think you're wrong that people give it a pass in that way. Um, but their identity is such that this is all progression in in their story, which is much different than how, say, New Japan progresses a story because it's they have weekly TV, and weekly TV means you gotta like just like kind of give incremental boosts, which means you do a lot of this type of run-in interference type stuff. Well, that's fair, but also, I mean, you say like people, you know, AW's new and it's not established or whatever. Unless these New Japan fans were talking about. Uh, came in during in 2005 which i'm not saying those people aren't out there that's you know pretty much when i came in like if you came in anytime after 2013 new japan had interference in major matches especially involving the bullet club specifically so i mean i don't so i you're, what you're saying makes sense i know you're being devil's advocate too but on the other hand it doesn't make sense because this stuff has been here in new japan forever now you know for eight years so you know, if people, I, I don't know. It just felt like that whole debate, and I feel like people probably are pulling out their earbuds right now because they probably don't want to hear another evil debate. But that whole debate would have <laughs> been, people would have been far more honest to just come out and say, I don't like the King of Darkness evil. <laughs> like, sure, right. Because, That's what I was just going to yeah, say. Yeah. I don't think it's that you don't like interference because clearly you don't give a fuck when every single match on an AEW pay-per-view has interference, you don't like evil. And if people had just come out and said, you know, I don't like evil, I don't like Bullet Club anymore, I, I wouldn't even necessarily disagree with that. I mean, I probably like evil a little more than some of these people. I am ready to fucking throw Bullet Club in the goddamn bin, you know, especially after seeing these shows where they're not involved at all and being like, oh, New Japan really is much more pleasant this way. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, like, if you just come out and said that, that's fine. But they made it, like, this big thing, like, oh, interference doesn't belong in New Japan. Interference destroying professional wrestling. It's like, I don't buy the idea that AEW is, like, you know, such a completely different thing that people who, you know, months ago were tearing their hair out and then lighting the hair on fire about interference in New Japan should be now like, uh, you know, one of the four big shows of the year with interference in every single match. Eh, who cares? Like, I get it on the TV, and I totally get what you're saying about, you know, like, you know, progressing storylines. But, like, you cannot, you should not be booking one of your biggest shows of the year like this. Like, this this felt like fucking TNA. 
And not just because Christian Cage came out to his TNA theme <laughs> song. Like, this really felt like total nonstop action. And, you know, just, like, just book finishes. I don't know. Just just book your wrestling, like, you don't have to get everybody on the show at all times. Like, they, they really had that get, uh, get everyone on the show-itis. Um, where, like, anyone involved even perpetually with, you know, an act or with a feud has to get on the show. And it's like, just leave people off the show. I don't know what to tell you. Like, the the lack of, uh, you know, the, the the lack of being willing to leave people off the show, um, you know, really does, like, lead to some really like, tedious booking. And, you know, they, and people made fun of the, the take that AEW had too many people. But, I mean, look, they, they have enough people that they have, you know, an entire geek crew to sit at ringside. And then they're still, like, jamming all these people on the show and run-ins and interfered spots and all this shit and it's like yeah i don't know it just it, it doesn't even feel like to me like some of the like most of their interference problems on the on revolution were like storyline related it just felt like it was a lazy uh way to jam as many people on the show as possible and it's like i don't know it just it felt very wwe too i mean you know i said tna but it, it feels very wwe just gotta get everybody on the show and you know just really really dragged it down for me yeah, I mean, all those finishes dragged it down for me too. But I mean, we'll get to that when we go kind of deeper into it. But I, I hear you. I'm, I'm with you. I, we were talking offline, and I was like, I don't know that I'm going to have much of a counterpoint for you. <laughs> so this may be a kind of a boring episode to listen to. I, I do enjoy. I think I enjoy AEW. Uh, I, you know, based on our conversations, a little bit more than you. I'm a little more invested in the product. Um, but I also, it's not a. It, it's not exactly what I want it to be, which is, you know, why I think I haven't gotten more attached to it than um, say I am with new Japan, right? Like new Japan is all pretty darn close to what I want pro wrestling to be. So it's just really really frustrating because I really did was liking the TV and I know people, um, I don't know. People don't probably don't expect it out of me, but I, I love the current Kenny Omega run. Like I'm always uh, a bigger fan of him as a heel and as a babyface, and you know where he got really boring to me in New Japan down the stretch was when he was doing that like terrible tweener shit, like where you know he was working face one second and heel the next, especially during that final title reign. And you know now that he's just being like a completely obnoxious heel champion again, I'm like, yeah, this is great. This is a Kenny, this is a Kenny Omega I like, and you know just like. So there is stuff in that company. I mean, obviously, you mentioned Ray Phoenix, and he's, like, one of the best wrestlers in the world right now, like, probably top three pretty easily. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, there, there's plenty of stuff in that company that's awesome, but, like, they, it just feels like it gets weighed down by, like, so much, like, superfluous and bullshit and bad booking. And, you know, I don't know. Like, people say, like, this guy won Booker of the Year and, like, aw1 promotion of the year and i just i it, there's so much of it that like feels like it succeeds in spite of uh the way it's booked then because of so i don't know i mean like big maybe that's even unfair maybe the big picture macro stuff like the kenny stuff the you know the kenny and good brothers uh you know the whole interpromotional thing is fun um you know like there is a lot of macro stuff they get right but like like so much of the mid card is just like so blah just like really really blah and i get that like you know that that stuff's not as important as your main event stuff but like it really weighs on you when you watch an entire like 
three and a half hour show. So I don't know if you. I, yes, <laughs> I, I I I agree. I agree. I think we'll we'll get to a lot of it as we go through the card. But I've yeah. yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm saving my hot takes. I guess. Yeah. So that was the macro stuff. But since it's a Puro podcast, we are going to start with New Japan. So let's start with the New Japan anniversary show. Uh, this was back on March 4th at the Budokan Hall. It drew a crowd of 3,026, which people freaked the fuck out about, especially Dave Meltzer. And I don't know. I, I kind of think four days build. Uh, you're, you're, one of your main eventers got injured at the last second, and you had to replace him with another guy. And by the way, Tokyo's still under a state of emergency. I don't really think selling 3,000 tickets is that bad. But uh, some people seem to... I mean, that's right where <laughs> that's right where most of these I know. Oh, that's are a... selling. I mean, 3,000 is like the number you see right now. That's like the... that's. I don't want to say that's capacity because they, they have more tickets that they could sell. But that's the number that's selling right now. That's the number of people that are going out and going to shows. Well, okay, here's a... I mean, I, you made a kind of a great point. So the anniversary show in, uh, you know, like in 2018, 2019, they were drawing, like, between 3,800 and 4,000 out of War Gym. Like, you know, for these similar, like, main events of, like, a special sing, special singles match. This time they did get put the titles on the line. But, like, I'm sorry. you're They're drawing 800 less people than they... We're drawing before for the same show during a fucking pandemic and people are acting like, you know, really Dave Meltzer, I guess, are acting like the company is like fucking going under. I don't I don't really understand that, but uh, it's just a little bizarre to me. But, you know, I just I mean, this is the anniversary. It's not New Japan's biggest show of the year. I mean, people comparing it to like that, the Noah Budokan show and stuff, which I heard there's a rumor going around, by the way, that that number was kind of inflated. But uh, mm-hmm. but anyway, even if it, even if it wasn't though, I mean that's their biggest show of the year, so good for them. I mean this is the New Japan anniversary show is like a fucking C show, so yeah. And well, the Noah show was like back to Budokan. It yeah. was like their big. I mean that's a huge that's a big deal for them. Yeah. And and the show was what it was. I'm sure you've talked about it yeah, already. I liked it. Um, yeah, it was good. I mean you know I title change aside everything's great but like i i don't know i mean like stardom did what 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 was their report number 3300 34 i think yeah 33 34 yeah so somewhere in so there biggest so, show in like in like a decade yeah same deal <laughs> biggest show like ever and then new japan run comes in and they do a budokan on quote-unquote four days build um like like they didn't like we didn't know what where they were going with the main event. I mean, if you pay attention to the you're a fan of the promotion, you know who's going to be in the main event. It's going to be the junior versus the heavy, yeah. or they're going to do something wacky like the never or whatever. Mm-hmm. Either way, you were going to get kind of one of those matches, and and it ended up the Desperado and, and Ibushi and uh, over delivered. If you ask me, in general, uh, more you know, would I have been more excited for Hiromu? Absolutely, most people would. And would they have sold more tickets? definitely yeah uh, but like a thousand more no probably not i think 500 more five yeah. six hundred yeah sure yeah. but yeah i don't know so like just uh, i wanted to mention that because like the the attendance discourse is very silly and like uh, like when dave some of dave's new japan takes lately have been very wacky so just was uh it stood out to me so the main event here uh kota ibushi defeating el desperado in 2036 with the kamigoe 
he retain makes his third defense of the IWGP Heavyweight title and fourth defense of the Intercontinental title. Uh, this was made a title match at the last minute. Uh, basically, Desperado like asked for it, and you know, or Bushi went on the press conference and like basically, you know, told him he wanted to do it. Um, but yeah, this this should be the last defense of these two titles now that they're going to be merged into the IWGP World Heavyweight Title. Which, if you want to complain about something in New Japan lately, I don't know. I really do hate the title merge. I I will say. I'm not quite as worked up about it as some people I've heard, but it's pretty stupid. And, like, getting rid of the IWGP heavyweight title, um, which, in my mind, is the most prestigious title in sports, you know, in pro wrestling. And, you know, I don't I don't think that many people uh, would really even disagree with that. Like, it just feels very, very wacky. You know, the fact that Kota Ibushi's... You know, uh, Emily Pratt did a great article about this, where, like... I thought she really broke down the, um, and I should look up what, what the site, yeah, because I know it's not the same site anymore. Uh, but yes, the, she wrote a great article about this, about, you know, just the, uh, the issues with, uh, you know, with like the title unification thing. It's on Fanbyte, by the way, that's the name of the site now. Um, but yes, it, you know, basically like the biggest one to me that what that comes down to is like, it doesn't really feel like the Kota Ibushi character, you know, in the canon of, of New Japan should have the power to do this. And I know he requested it and the company had to go along with it, but it just feels like, you know, it feels like the company should tell him, like, no. Like, it just doesn't feel like the kind of thing a, a, a wrestler should be able to do. And, you know, it seems to have created a lot of resentment toward him and you know among a lot of the fans and like you know i don't i don't even just mean the western fans either i mean the japanese fans uh if you look at like twitter hashtags and like if you look at uh you know there's like forms and stuff apparently it is like inundated with people complaining about this the the japanese fans if anything hate this even more than the western fans do i mean they really hate this title unification and i can't say i'm too surprised i mean getting rid of the iwgp heavyweight title um, it, it, I, I did not think it was going to be popular when I heard that's what they were doing. And if anything, maybe though, it's even more unpopular, uh, with the Japanese fans than I thought it would be. But yeah, I guess before we get into the match, do you have any thoughts on this, uh, unification thing? It is funny watching these promos and like every wrestler in the company bearing it, except the heels now, the heels are for it. So I'm like, oh, they, they, they figured out this is a heel move, I guess. I just think it's confusing uh, a little bit, right? And it's confusing to me, and I'm within the minutia of it all, right? So I, um, like, does this end the lineage? I mean, they're saying Abushi's the first world heavyweight champion, but that does that mean that all the previous heavyweight champions, like, that title just completely stops? Like, I'm curious to see how they handle it going forward. I mean, I, I think this does kill the Intercontinental Championship, for yeah. sure. Like, I think that lineage ends here, right? I think, I mean, how do you how do you run a company and have no history attached to your top title? That seems strange to me, especially in, in the context of New Japan. So I think that... You know, especially because it's not like they vacated it and started a whole new title. They handed it to the person that held the title before they 
decided to do this. So, like, to me, that's an indicator that the lineage, at least of the heavyweight championship, attaches to the world heavyweight championship. And until someone tells me otherwise, that's how I'm going to treat it because he's still, he's the top champion in the promotion. And he's still the top champion in the promotion. And we're just, we've given the title a, a new name and probably a new belt, right? So, I don't know. Like that, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal to me. Eliminating the Intercontinental Championship, it's been eliminated for whatever fifteen months yeah, already. I don't so know about that, I mean, people. Some people. I don't some know. People seem pretty upset about that, but I'm like, that was the moment that double title match happened. Like the people who thought they were going to separate the belts and go back to. It's like, look, the entire purpose of the Intercontinental Title, besides to be a second belt, was to eventually build to something like this. Like you could see it. And all the time that the Intercontinental title was, like, being promoted as this rival belt where Nakamura was trying to make it bigger. And then they did the Naito storyline where, like, Naito is abusing the belt because he only likes the heavyweight. And it's like they were always building this storyline of, like, the two belts at odds. And obviously it was always going to end with the Intercontinental going away. So that, I mean, that to me is not a, not a surprise, nor is it a uh, anything to really worry about. The... The thing I, I'm surprised by is that I really thought this was going to be like a IWD, like a situation. Like they've they've had other t- times where titles have been sealed into the IWGP heavyweight title. I mean, this has happened at least twice that I can think of. Um, the Anoki, uh, the greatest 18 club title that used to be the WWF martial arts title. They had a, a match where that was unified with the IWGP heavyweight. Uh, I believe it was uh, Ricky Choshu and somebody. Who the hell was the other guy? Maybe Fujinami? I don't know. But the point is, I know Choshu was the greatest 18 club guy. And, you know, when when the when that match happened, you know, the greatest 18 club title just got absorbed in the IWGP heavyweight. The NWF heavyweight title. Uh, they mm-hmm. had the... Oh, it happened three times, because I can think of a third one. But yeah, the NWF heavyweight title. They revived this old title that Anoki again, used to hold uh, in the early 2000s. And, you know, Takayama won this tournament for it, and that lasted only about a year. But, you know, the belt, when they did the unification with him and Nakamura, the belt was absorbed in the IWGP heavyweight. Uh, and then the IWGP third belt, uh, you know, when Brock left with the title and never lost it in the late 2000s, um, you know, he went to IGF and lost it to Kurt. And then Kurt brought it back to New Japan and lost to, I think, Shinsuke. Could have been Tanahashi, but I think it was Shinsuke again. And, you know, they absorbed it back into the IWGP, an IWGP heavyweight title. So that's what I thought was going to happen here. I thought they were just going to absorb it back into the heavyweight title. I, I did not think we were going to create a whole new fucking belt. And there's no precedent for that, you know. And uh, an IWGP world heavyweight just sounds kind of stupid. Like, it's interna- International <laughs> Wrestling Grand Prix World Heavyweight. It's like, no, International Wrestling Grand Prix Heavyweight was fine. I mean, like, I, there was somebody else who made that point. I think it was... Suzuki or somebody who just said Sekai just sounds stupid. And it does. So, I don't know. It, it's a yeah, lot. IWGP, Sekai Heavy Q. I'm like, why Sekai Heavy Q? Just Heavy Q is fine. So, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, hard to, hard to know until we see exactly how it's being handled or what's being kind of attached to it. But either way, it's still the same guys, the top champion. They never vacated it. To me, that means this this title carries on just kind of the way you described how they handled all the other titles. Now, it's a little bit bigger because the Intercontinental, like I, I look at this era that the Intercontinental existed 
and it's the intercontinental title era i mean like it's the era that like if you if you really think about it and, and there's so much conversation about this new japan and the new era etc but like the beginning of this kind of current run yeah. was when the intercontinental was yeah, born and, and created and now we're seeing people talk about kind of the end of a, a certain era or a certain run and it's when the Intercontinental was yeah. was killed. And and now we, we move on the secondary titles to something like the US and the Never and maybe the Junior, right? We see that elevate, but then that's that's a different second title. It means something different. And I think what's gonna be really interesting to me is how far separated will this world heavyweight championship be from I guess the next highest ranking uh singles championship in the company because uh, if it if this creates a bigger gap then I, that can work for or against them right if is this is really just like top guys only and forever top guys only and once you get there you're you're going to be at that level for the rest of your career which is kind of how the heavyweight's been but not necessarily um not not exclusively yeah. right but how how exclusive how long are the reigns? How many defenses? What are the stats? Right, my thing. Like, what are, what are the data points that end up going with this? Um, that's what'll be kind of interesting for me to see. Or is this something that opens the door to bouncing the title around more because we're looking at things a little bit more, a little bit differently now? That can be, or is it going to be defend? I mean, Abushi's defending he was defending these titles at like a, a extremely rapid rate for the first, you know, two and a half months of the year already. Is he going to continue that? So he racks up a bunch of defenses and that becomes the precedent for this championship. I, I'm curious to see where we, where we go from so, here. Two things. I wanted to pr- say that that point you made was pretty brilliant that the intercontinental title was pretty much this entire era. I mean, the, the intercontinental title was established on January 5th, 2011, like officially that's when it was announced so you know mm-hmm. the the first champion uh t- was may 2011 so yeah that pretty much is you know the uh <laughs> the intercontinental era uh the other point i wanted to make is so we don't know how it's going to go you know is it going to be a um you know is he heavyweight retired or whatever if you look at wikipedia it does say the heavyweight is retired right now so i don't know where they're well yeah that's that's been the communication yeah. i guess but it's still it's it's very bizarre. Know, it feels it's vague very it's bizarre because they didn't like vacate it, do a tournament, out, do the New Japan Cup, have a have the new champion crown with the New Japan Cup. I don't know. Like it's odd that it's just, especially in, in any Japanese promotion, to not just have a tournament yeah. <laughs> when you have a new title or a new trophy or a, you know whatever. Like it always, they always build some matches around it. Typically. I don't think they. I don't think they've um, changed it on cage match yet. That's interesting. I guess they're still waiting for New Japan to show up with a belt or something they still have abushi listed as heavyweight and ic champion huh yeah sure so, so it's not yeah it's very like up in the air i mean i honestly just think they should absorb the belt and just fucking never speak of this again because the people really are upset about it and i wouldn't it really wouldn't shock me if they um if they do they backtrack on this somehow and just keep the heavyweight belt because like i don't know if that that would involve abushi losing and then the next person doing that or what but like the reaction is really negative and it's not like this company hasn't uh you know switched gears when the reaction is super negative before because uh we just saw it with a uh certain umbrella guy 
Uh, you know, not that, not that long ago here. I go. Well, and also like this match that we were just about to talk about and got sidetracked was not a championship match. And then like three days or like a two days later, it was a championship match. So like, I mean, this is a much bigger story to pivot like mm-hmm. that on, but also they're not, it doesn't seem like new Japan's opposed to listening to fans yeah, pivoting, this isn't WWE, you know, right? or, or storylining it, right? Like Kotobushi, he doesn't want to carry two belts around. I don't, you know, I don't know. Like, like he he couldn't seem to figure it he out. He really could. So, like he like I've never I mean, seen a man like, have that much trouble holding two titles. Like like I wanted to be like, buddy, Naito and Evil both had these same two titles, and they were not like constantly looking like they were going to drop them whenever they like moved their elbow or any, anything. It was uh. And like the coolest guy that walks around with two belts right now is El Desperado. I mean, like, like I don't know, clip them together <laughs> and put them around your back. Yeah. I don't, like. Yeah, so I don't this it's it is all fascinating. We won't really see what they end up kind of doing with it until at least after the New Japan Cup, which does create this kind of air of mystery yeah. around it. Um, we'll find out. Maybe the road maybe the road. Yeah, I'd like And even if Ibushi starts I mean, I don't know if he's even on any undercards coming up. Um, well, he isn't he isn't for the first what, round, I don't think for the second yeah, right. maybe he'll show up at the end I, or something. I was gonna say they haven't they haven't announced cards for the the second round like the undercard. So is he gonna have any belt? Is he just gonna keep carrying the two? Like what yeah. are we doing? This is, seems like it was kind of shotgunned, um, and it's it is it's odd. It's just it is just kind of yeah. strange. Uh, so the match itself here, I thought this was really great, but I still seem to be a little bit lower on it than uh, some other folks. I went four stars flat on this. Um, you know, it's one of these matches where like you know I. I it's an awesome match that I was disappointed by because of the standard I hold these two guys to. I mean, I just didn't love it quite as much as I thought I would, mostly because, you know, as I mentioned, it was about 20 minutes and it started a little bit slow for me for a 20 minute match. Like I, I honestly thought they were going to go a lot longer with how slow they started with the, uh, you know, trading holds and stuff. Um, but you know, everything after the 15 minute mark was fucking awesome and, you know, took it to that four star level for me. But yeah, Bushi is a guy where, you know, I love his closing stretches. I love his, uh, you know, a lot of his, you know, work and his pairings with like Naito and some other folks. But like sometimes his early portions of matches don't land with me at all. And this really happened in the Abushi Okada match uh, last year at Wrestle Kingdom 2 where I was like four and a quarter on that and a lot lower than a lot of other people. And you know, he just, he has a tendency not to land with me in these early portions of these big matches where like, I don't know, where he, he can be a little more dull to me than, uh, I mean, I know it's the, it's the style. So I'm not, it's not really his fault. Like the, the style is like a little bit boring in the early, in the early going a lot of the times, but like he can be especially dull for me in the early portions, portions of, uh, these matches, I guess. Yeah. I, um, I tend to I tend to agree with that though I've just kind of accepted it as as what he does, um, so it's it doesn't that doesn't bother me at all when I'm watching an Ibushi match because like I kind of I have a lot of faith with where it's gonna go like I think Ibushi is one of the, the he's one of the best wrestlers on the planet right now has been for quite a while and I was a little surprised that he and Desperado started at that pace and also just like 
did some like mat work and grappling and like they were they were um i don't know i don't know what i expected but i didn't expect that out of this match for for whatever reason so um but yeah as as the match went on like these guys are both great i'm really actually kind of glad it only went 20 minutes because i feel like that's kind of a believable time frame for this matchup Mm -hmm. whereas like abushi gets taken to the limit by someone like jay white and like almost like two more way more than twice this time at the tokyo dome and then he he can put away desperado in in 20 minutes and 36 seconds and um desperado puts up a good fight has a couple of good near falls me too right so that was that's in my that was something i was going to bring up at, at some point here too like shocked he he kicked out of the kamigoi and he had to go to the the knee pad down and that whole thing so i'm a little concerned that like that's just gonna become how he has to finish how ibushi has to finish matches we're like one one will never win basically um yeah i mean like the the other thing i didn't love too in the end i mean you know i'm nitpicking a four-star match but like the i did not like the transition into the uh kamigoi like basically when desperado like you know, Desperado counters the Kamigoi into the numero dos um, and locks him for a second time. Ibushi got this, like, really weird counter into a roll-up, and then I thought the the actual Kamigoi was awkward. So, in a way, I'm glad that, like, that was not the finish, because it didn't look that great to me. Uh, but I was still surprised they gave that to a junior, obviously. They let him kick out of it. Yeah, I mean, that second Kamigoi yeah. looked awesome, too. So, like, at, at least we ended up with that. I mean, like, he... it it looked stiff um you know i don't know i don't know if it was but he he really whacked him so that was definitely the the kill shot which um you know it is helpful when the finish looks like the finish uh afterwards abushi had like a moment with taichi who who came out there with desperado uh he had desperado had kanemaru and taichi with him but only for like legitimate moral support because suzuki goon does not do run-ins anymore really so uh and thank god and bullet club does enough for like three units but yeah, uh, but Taichi was out there and had like a moment with Ibushi and he's like stared at him for a long time, I guess referencing their G1 from last year. But like that turned out to be a total fake out because then he lost in the first round two days later. So uh, yeah, there you go. I do like that they give him a chance to have people think like, yeah. could he, could, could Taichi yeah. take this? Um, the no. semi-main event. So the next two matches and this transitions into the Patreon plug, which I haven't done yet. So we are doing daily coverage of the New Japan Cup on the Wrestling Omakase Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash wrestling omakase for only $5. So, you know, we are going to cover one New Japan Cup show on this uh, episode later today, but every other New Japan Cup show daily is getting covered on the Patreon. Uh, You know, all the tournament matches. I've been watching the undercards too, and I go in a little bit of that, but especially like, you know, detailed reviews and recaps of all the tournament matches uh, you know, updates on the uh, Wrestling Omikaze Pick'em, which uh, Chris, of course, was very gracious to host for us on his website. And, you know, the updates on, like, the, you know, the future brackets and all that. So, yeah, we've been doing that on the Patreon daily for only $5. Uh, you know, I think that's, personally, I think that's a great deal. You get all the audio uh, coverage of this tournament you could ever wa- ever want. And, of course, the flagship is not doing it this year, so... If you want daily audio coverage of this tournament, we're pretty much uh, your only option, at least on the Voices of Wrestling Network. So, yes, patreon.com slash wrestling omikase. Uh, I already covered both these matches, so I'm not going to go into any kind of detail here. I will just tell you uh, that the great Okan B. 
beat Tetsuya Naito in 2020 by a referee stop. I thought this was the match of the night. I went four and a quarter stars on it. And you can hear me rave all about how awesome I thought it was uh, over on the Patreon. But the the very Cliff Notes version was I love that the, you know, they told the story where like Okan's power was like just constantly countering Naito's big moves. Like Naito went to do that like swiggy DET off the ropes and Okan just caught him in midair and just like dumped him. It wasn't like a squash for Okan, but like, you know, it was it was kind of close. I mean, Okan definitely dominated and, you know, they, they really were not afraid to let him just beat the shit out of Naito in this match. And, you know, at the end when he like, Naito had been like making fun of his poses, pretty, pretty funny fashion. And then Okan just made fun of his pose at the after he beat him. Just like such a great moment. But yeah, I went four and a quarter on this. I thought this was awesome. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this one, Chris? I mean, I really liked it. I love that Okan advanced. I And I liked the taunts uh, back and forth, just kind of like you referenced. I thought that that was a really nice touch. This was, in a way, vintage Naito in the way of... And he had been this way on the um, the previous tour, too, with like Honma and like just kind of bullying guys around and um, taunting and... and, and you know, really just kind of making fun of whoever he's he's in the ring with. Um, and I liked that they they played off of that. Um, I thought Okan looked awesome here. I think Okan is, uh, you know, I'm I'm on Team Okan. I think he's going to end up uh, a really important factor for New Japan. And, I, you know, I don't know how far he's going to go in this particular tournament, but um, he's going to start getting some big wins. And this was maybe one of, one of many fucking get eliminated by Tori. I know that's all I, <laughs> right. Oh, like God. you got to figure he's through to the, the following round, but I don't know. I mean, I guess if you're going to give a, a banana peel win, right. I mean, I guess that's a, that Yano, a Yano upset is not the, you know, it's not the end of the world, I guess that's kind of a protected loss yeah. in new Japan. Oh, wow. Uh, the next match was also a new Japan cup tournament first round match also covered on the patreon jeff cobb beat satoshi kojima at 11:50 with the tour of the islands i thought this was good i went three and a half and again you can hear all of my detailed thoughts at patreon.com slash wrestling yeah i think these guys worked really well together no surprise on the on the finish there though um pretty much knew which which direction this was uh, going to so go between matches three and four we got the big announcements of two huge shows for may the wrestle grand slam in yokohama stadium on may 15th and the wrestle grand slam in tokyo dome on may 29th that is their first show um okay i don't have this in front of me let me look it up real quick it's their first non-january 4th show or non-january 4th or 5th i guess you would say now uh in many many years you can look this I think yeah, it's 16. That... I think it's 16 years. I think it was 2005. Uh, that looks... Yep. Uh, yeah, that's correct. So the, the last one was... Oh, God. It was this show. The Tokan Sozu New Chapter, uh, October 8th, 2005, with the horrible three-way main event where Brock Lesnar uh, beat Kazuki Fujita oh, yeah. and Masahiro Chono in eight minutes and eight seconds uh, to win the title, pinning Chono because Fujita would not jab to Brock. But yes, uh, to win the IWGP <laughs> title. But yeah, um, you know, the last time New Japan ran a non-January uh, Tokyo Dome show, Brock was winning the IWGP title. Uh, Tanahashi and Nakamura were teaming in the semi-main event against Kawada and Yoji Anjo. Um, 
just crazy shit. Hiroki Goto was a junior heavyweight tag team champion with Minoru Tanaka. <laughs> uh, just Yuchi Nagata was losing in seven minutes to Matt Morgan for some reason. Uh, yeah, just a lot of really weird shit on this show. But uh, and it, obviously most of the other people we think of are... Oh, Ishii was in the opener. Osamu Nishimura and Tatsumi Fujinami defeating Ricky Choshu and Tomohiro Ishii in 8.37. I would bet you like a zillion... It doesn't say it's on cage match, but I bet you like a zillion dollars Ishii took the fall there. <laughs> I, I have no doubt he took yeah, the fall in that so match. There you go. So yeah, it's been a long time since a non-January Tokyo Dome show. I know some people are like, oh, whatever, New Japan running pandemic shows, who cares? But it's still pretty damn cool to see New Japan, the Tokyo Dome again after, you know, a non-January show for the first time in 16 years. Like, I popped that. I'm not going to lie. Uh, you know, the Yokohama show, that's cool too. I mean, that's, that outdoor show in uh, Jingu was really cool. So that, that sounds cool. I mean, the main thing that's running through my head is like, what the fuck are they going to put on these shows? Because it's not like they're getting rid of any other shows. I mean, they have Sakura Genesis in April. Then they have four shows late April, early May. The, uh, I don't remember what the, what is it? Do you remember what the other one's called on Duntaku? It's like Satsuna. Oh. Satsuna knows something. I can, I can find it in two seconds, so it's fine. Uh, it is Wrestling Satsuma uh, no Kuni. Satsuma yeah, no Kuni. Country of Satsuma. I don't know what Satsuma is. Maybe Summer? No, that's something else. Let's see. What's Satsuma? Just kind of curious. Uh oh, it's just a okay. It might just be a fruit. <laughs> it's the fruit. It's fruit country. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but yes, it's Suma no Kuni. Uh, that's from Kagoshima, and uh, that's April twenty eighth and 29th. And then Dentaku is May third and May fourth, so two nights again uh, at the Fukuoka Convention Center. So I mean, you're gonna have to have you know a title match or some you know presumably multiple title matches for those four shows. And then, you know, I mean, not that many days later, uh, you know, 11 days later, after the second night of Dontaku, you have a stadium show in Yokohama, and then 15 days later, you have a Tokyo Dome show. So, like, what are they going to run on all these shows? It's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if we get, like, I mean, really anything's open at this point. I mean, they could do Okada Naito again, finally. They could do Ibushi Okada. Um you know, nothing would surprise me. I mean, you gotta, you know, these are even pandemic or not. I mean, you know, the capacity is going to be big enough. They got to sell some tickets. So, guess. Yeah, and you got to figure the capacity, at least at the Tokyo Dome show, will probably be higher than they were anticipating for Wrestle yeah. Kingdom. They should be. Um, out. They, or maybe what maybe what they were anticipating for Wrestle Kingdom pre state yeah, of emergency. They should be out of state of emergency by then. Yeah. You would think, yeah, but I yeah. mean, who knows, right? Like, <laughs> Can't can't really count on anything, but yeah, I mean, if they can put twenty thousand people in the Tokyo Dome, that's going to be even a different environment than the Wrestle Kingdom Tokyo Dome shows. That I don't think was oh, that yeah, bad that of an good. environment. Yeah, yeah, it, it turned out fine. I think because of how big and cavernous that building is, like, I don't know, you put a couple people in there, and they, you know, they're kind of active in their in their claps and stomps, and everything sounds great. Um, but yeah, I love I love the baseball stadium shows. I mean, I think that that's awesome. I think it's just. It's I, I like what part of what I enjoy about, you know, New Japan's production is is how they are able to make 
you know, different places still look good and, 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 you know, use, use the spaces that they're given creatively or not creatively if they're phoning it in. I mean, we'll talk about the new Japan cup show. Um, you know, it's sometimes they're just in a gym and they've got a little <laughs> entrance and they, <laughs> everything happens. I love, you know? I love so, those shows. Um, but I, it's very charming. Oh, me too. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Look like they're in a, in a airplane <laughs> hangar, like no problem. Um, but I think that that's part of the, that's part of the charm. Yeah. Right. So, and, and I think part of the charm of doing a baseball stadium show is like, where do they put the ring? How do they enter through the dugouts? Yeah. Like, what are we doing? Like, so I'm excited for the Yokohama show. I think it'll be really cool. Uh, so match number three was the team of Okada, Ishii and show defeating Shingo, Sonata and Bushi. Show pitting Bushi in nine thirteen with the shock arrow. I thought this was kind of just a match, uh, perfectly fine. Don't, don't really have strong thoughts on it. When Okada came up all taped up here, and this is even before we got the note from Meltzer about his back injury, I was like, oh yeah, he's losing to Shingo in the first round for sure. Now I already thought he was anyway, but it was like, there's his out. <laughs> his back is all taped up. He's losing. Yeah. He looked yeah. like hell, though. I mean, like he was moving slow at the, during this this particular match. And I don't know if that was selling or if that was real or he's not getting the cortisone shots for the tag matches. I don't know, right? But like, um, I don't. I know nothing more than than what's been reported. But I thought I I even prior to that note, I thought, man, he's moving slow. Um, but I I agreed with your take there that that was. I mean, he definitely wasn't going to beat Shingo in that state. Okada so, and Shingo both. I mean, Okada and Naito both went out in the first round. That was very. Yeah, it's wild. It's fun. It's wild. Yeah, I got when I posted my bracket to Twitter. Someone was like, "Okada and Naito going out in the first round. Bold move." And I was like, they, Is it? "Like, they, I don't know. I yeah, feel like that's where we're at right now." They, they've both gone out in the first round of New Japan Cup before. I mean, it's not like it's mm-hmm. total, like New Japan Cup to me is a thing where like, okay, your tippy top guys. And, you know, Tanahashi kind of used to be in this group more than he is now, but, like, and he used to go out in the first round all the time. It's like your tippy-top guys, if they're not going to win the thing, then then they're going, they're going out, out early. early. It's like there really isn't much value in, like, oh, yeah, great, they made it to the semifinals. We strung their fan bases along and then had them lose anyway. Whereas, like, if they get knocked out in the first round, it's like you, you, their fan bases get to, you know, can get over it and get behind somebody else. Like, I'm sure the LIJ people are behind Shingo right now. Like they, they really, they damn sure seem to be. Um, and like, you know, they can get behind somebody else and they can like, um, you know, just kind of like rips the bandaid off. I mean, you know, just like, they're not going to win this thing. Why? You, there's no real reason to string people along. And it kind of gives like a feather in the cap of whoever knocks them out in the first round. It just looks cooler than, you know, knocking them out in the second round or even whatever the fuck. So like to me, like, Unless they're going yeah, to go I mean, to the okay. final and lose, like that, that makes a lot of sense to get knocked out in the first round. Yeah, I mean, this is Okada's fifth New Japan Cup, and in all five, he's either been knocked out in the first round or yeah. gone to the finals. So that's the, this is it's just fun. what I they that, do. I made that exact same uh, point on the Patreon when I was doing it. It's just such a yeah. cool point. Like, yeah, he either gets either wins it, loses in the final, or loses in the first round. It's all. <laughs> yeah there i mean it's three outcomes here i mean that's all you get from okada and honestly like if i'm if i'm looking through brackets right and i'm i'm kind of pulling uh data from you know brackets that people have entered on sport of pro wrestling like that's those are the three yeah. outcomes for okada i mean people people have caught on like nobody had okada getting knocked yeah. out in the second round there's a bunch that had him going to the finals um and and or winning the whole damn tournament but 
um nobody had him just like i don't know pedestrian in the second round just getting rolled up yeah. or whatever like that's just not how it works i don't know if it made bad luck Fale <laughs> when he beat him in 2015 but um Fale had a good run with new japan cups though um you, you know the you 14 know finals and then you know knocking out Okada. he wasn't even supposed to go to the final lose last year do you remember who he was up against originally in the first round last year before the pandemic ruined everything yes jay, jay was knocking his ass out in the first round last year so, so he would have been, right? been a perfect either lost in first round or, uh, you know, either loses in first round or wins the thing, which I like. I like that a lot. But, right. Because uh, he's won it twice. He won it in 2013 and 2019. And both times he also won the title. Right. So, and then most years, obviously, he's not in it because he's usually the fucking champion. But, uh, you know. Anyway, that's Okada's uh, New Japan Cup. Naito's more, like, mixed, especially back before he was, like, really a top star. Like, he... Went to the semifinals a bunch of times, I think, and went to the finals. Uh, but, like, ever since, like, his elevation, you know, he won the thing in 2016, which was, like, his big elevation. And ever since then, it's like, you know, he wasn't in it in 2017. Uh, 2018, he got knocked out in the first round by Zach. 2019, he got knocked out in the first round by Ibushi. You know, he wasn't in it last year again because he was a champion. And now this year he gets knocked out in the first round by Okan. And it's like, yeah, this, this isn't the moment for those kind of guys. Like, this is, you know, this is not the G1. This is like an elevation tournament. So, you know, like, Naito doesn't really need it. Like, Okada in 2019, you know, there's a little bit of a different story because they wanted to set up that MSG main event. Um, but, yeah, I mean, usually, I, I'd be pretty surprised if, like, you know, wouldn't shock me at all if Naito and Okada never won another New Japan Cup. Because just they, they just don't need no. it. No, yeah. Uh, match number two here was a... Uh, 10-man tag, and it was the team of Tanahashi, Juice Robinson, David Finley, Toa Hanare, and Ryusuke Taguchi losing to the Bullet Club, Evil Kenta, Chase, Jay, and Ishimori, Evil pinning Taguchi in 739 with the Evil. I thought this was a very average match. Uh, the, the two things that stood out, I guess, were both pre-match. Taguchi is now ripping off Yano. He's, like, famous for ripping off lots of people, and now he's ripping off Yano with, like, these long introductions where he's get he's like introducing like a CD and a new T-shirt and it's like are they like very subtly building a Taguchi Rosiano feud or more likely Taguchi just thought this was funny and told the announcer to start doing it <laughs> but yes it's not up to Yano length yet but it's it started uh, the other big note Juice has a ridiculous new outfit uh, an Afro golden blue pants with a diamond pattern he looks he looks insane yep. but he still looks better than he did as a Blues Brother. Well, Finley's got Finley's like got the matching, matching gear, gear too. He's like the he's like the Rich. under uh, the understated version with like the black pants that just have a little bit of the, yeah. the pattern. I mean, Juice looks like he should be on a Joker I, card. I, <laughs> like, I I pointed this out on uh, I mean, what I said on the Patreon behind the paywall was like, look, people get really worked up about some of these Juice looks. His name is the flamboyant Juice Robinson. It's not the understated Juice Robinson. I mean, like, this is his whole, his whole fucking thing. So it's like, I don't really get worked up about it. Like, you know, he he pulls them off as well. He's going to pull them off. Like, some of them are better than others. I really didn't like the Blues Brother thing, so I'm glad that's kind of... Yeah. that yeah. It just didn't land, really. I mean, I, I think it landed with anyone from... I mean, me and Rich Krejci. <laughs> like, I think it landed with us. And that was yeah, pretty much it. Area, right? Yeah. Right, right. We're from the yeah. Chicago suburbs, which is where Blues Brothers exist, Juliet. So, um, yeah, it was uh, not not his best work. This is this may be my favorite Juice oh, Robinson wow. look, though. I mean, he is out. I mean, like these, the <laughs> afro is 
I mean, it is large. I mean, I'm convinced he just took the Wrestle Kingdom time off because he wanted to grow his hair out and come back with yeah. a pop. So um, he looks, I mean, it's an incredible So this look. is just a match. Uh, really not much to it at all. The, the finish was kind of weird. Like Taguchi, he tags in. He sends everyone on his team after the opposite corner, then to the floor, where then he jumps off the top rope, lands on his feet, and then Evil just hits the Evil for the pen. Looked really weird. Um, like I get that the, the 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 first part of it was funny, I guess, where he sent his whole team away and it was his downfall. But like, I don't really get what he was going for when he landed on his feet. It was kind of just like bizarre. But yeah, I went two and a half stars. And then Jay White, the the post match was great though. Jay White grabs a mic. Does like this weird ring announcer thing, like over the top announcing Evil as the winner. It's like the two of them continue to get along a little too well, which is like a interesting uh, twist in their storyline after uh, you know all that stuff in the G one. Which yeah, I, I I feel like that's gonna go somewhere. Like the people who are afraid it's not going anywhere, I think are uh, you know I, don't, I think that fear is misplaced. I think it is gonna go somewhere eventually. But I I like that development. It's like yeah, you know what? These two are both assholes. It makes sense they would get along for a while, you know. They're both assholes. They can uh, get along with their assholeness together. Well, I think the tease is that they could end up fighting in the in the final of the tournament too. So if they get along real good, and all of a sudden they're both say in the final four, or even honestly end up up against each other, like that could end up being a, uh, you know, could be a sign or, or it was a red herring that people want to plant that seed and see how much yeah. people want it. But I, do you have any thoughts on this match? It was kind of just a match. Yeah, it's, it was a, it it was the just opener a match, though. Yeah. I really liked. So this was uh, the team of Goto, Hanma, Kid, and Wato, which is not the not the strongest team that uh, the Chaos Hontai connection could put together. But they they won. They beat Suzuki Goon, uh, Minoru Suzuki, Taichi, Zack Saber Jr., and Doki. Uh, Goto pinned Doki in ten thirty nine with the GTR. And I thought this was a really fun opener. Really kind of over-delivered. Uh, you know, it's like your typical Suzuki-Gun attacks early and breaks down to a brawl type stuff. But, like, I don't know. It felt longer than it was. Like, 10.39. I would have guessed, like, 13 or 14 minutes. And it just felt like they packed a lot of stuff in there and everybody worked extra hard. Maybe because it's Budokan. But, you know, the, the next two matches that we just talked, the following two matches we talked about, they didn't work extra hard. But they did here. So I went three and a quarter. I, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, I thought this was the best thing on the undercard. I think Goto yeah. looked awesome, which, you know, bled into his, his New Japan Cup uh, match, you know, and, and everyone else played their role. But they, yeah, big energy from this from this match, like really good first match energy. So I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Yeah, Goto looked awesome. Kid looks good. You know, Saber, Suzuki, Taichi, they all ended up looking good. Doki takes the fall per usual. I mean, like nothing... Nothing shocking or anything, but a well-worked, great Suzuki Goon, you know, multi-man. So, I loved it. Overall, I would call this a pretty damn good show. Uh, kind of continued a good little streak here for New Japan that uh, continued in the New Japan Cup. But, you know, Castle Attack Night 2 was awesome. This show I thought was pretty damn good. You know, th- the last three matches were all uh, really good. And like you said, the undercard at least had one good match. And, you know, a solid, a solid as fuck show here. A, you know, a, a, maybe not a strong thumbs up, but a thumbs up. Let's say, yeah, e- easy to watch. Nothing over twenty-one minutes. I mean, like keep keeping it concise. I guess is is helpful here. But yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed it. I thought this was a really good anniversary show, right? Like you said, yeah. it's kind of a C show, right? But 
um, put a couple of New Japan Cup matches on it, so attach some stakes to the to the card. Undercard is just solid with one like kind of standout, perfect um, New Japan show. And then the the first two nights of the New Japan Cup, which we're not talking about here, because again, patreon.com slash wrestling omakase. You can hear all my thoughts on them. Very good, very, very good start to the New Japan Cup, though. I mean, just on a macro level, it kind of continued. I mean, New Japan had it has had a very up and down 2021, to say the least. But, you know, I thought they've, those, you know, Castle Tag Night 2 was awesome. Anniversary anniversary shows, as we just went over, very good. And then the first two nights in New Japan Cup were awesome. I mean, Taishi and Goto was awesome. You know, that was a four and a quarter star match for me. Uh, Okada and Shingo was really awesome. Uh, a four and a half star match for me. And, like, I liked it even slightly better than their G1 match, which I think is kind of a hot take. I think most people prefer the G1 match, but I just... You know, I found this one to be very slightly better. I gave it the same rating. But yeah, I mean, I really love that match. And, you know, just a really strong start to the tournament. And now we'll get into night three here, which was like a, you know, a quieter night, but uh, definitely still a fun night, a fight night of action here. Do you have any other, do you have any quick thoughts, I guess, on the first two nights in New Japan Cup? Did you? I assume you probably liked it too, but. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I think they're, it's, it's solid. I think that you know from a fan perspective like a traditional classic fan not like coverage perspective like two tournament matches on each card kind of nice like really i i don't love like spreading this all out and kind of getting involved in the content era if you will but it's also real easy for me to like keep up on the really important stuff and say like okay i'm gonna watch the tournament matches and then like i don't know slide back in in an hour and you know in a little while or that evening or whatever and just catch the the undercard and just have it on kind of in the corner as i'm working on stuff so these have been really easy cards to to watch the work is good um and nothing there haven't been any big surprises which i guess is uh good at this oh, stage Goto, in the I, I was a little surprised by goto beating taichi yeah goto yeah that was a little surprising to me yeah uh so the the show we're talking about here was the sunday march 7th show uh which was from the uh i messe yamanase uh, so Yamanashi, Yaman, not Yamanashi, not Yamanase. Uh, Yamanashi is a uh, is a town like by in the Mount Fuji area, which was really funny when Zack Saber Jr. was like giving a promo um, on one of the nights before this and could not remember Mount Fuji. Like he was like he was trying to think. That he was like, uh, yes. you know, that big famous. I can't do a British accent, but he's like that big famous mountain. You guys. Have. I'm like, you mean Mount Fuji, buddy? <laughs> like, I had to look up the town to make sure. I'm like, he can't possibly mean Mount Fuji, right? He means one of these other mountains. But now he met Mount Fuji. And I was like, okay, I don't know how the <laughs> fuck you live in Japan uh, and can't remember Mount Fuji. But sure, I mean, like, okay, if you don't understand how big of a role Mount Fuji has to Japanese people, it's like if you purchase any piece of Japanese, like, generic memorabilia or like tourism shit there was like a 75 percent chance it has a picture of mount fuji on it it is like the most famous mountain in the country by like several thousand miles so the fact that he couldn't remember the name of this mountain was really really funny to me but yes that's where this was in the in the uh, mount fuji area um and the attendance here was 711 in what was definitely a smaller looking building but the crowd was into everything so uh the main event was Will Ospreay defeating Hiroyoshi Tenzan. Obviously not much of a shock. Uh, he beat him in 13:37 to advance in the New Japan Cup. I thought this was really good. I mean, this was... Like, the, the thing that, you know, Joe Lanza always says that Tenzan, uh, 
you know, somehow, even though he looks like he can barely walk a lot of nights, like really always man- manages to deliver in these, fir- in these, uh, singles matches when he has them a couple times a year. And he, he fucking delivered here. I thought he was great. I mean, you know, um, just like they, they had like some fun crowd brawling, uh, Tenzan, like just was like, he, he threw this awesome counter lariat, like around the 10 minute mark that just destroyed Osprey, which uh, obviously Osprey took a great, like, flip bump for it, which helped too. But yeah, then Tenzan, like, Tenzan delivered the TTD, the Tenzan Tombstone Driver. I love that, like, he's, like, such a worker. He paused before covering him, like, selling his arm, because he's like, I can't kill my ancient finisher that I never win matches with anymore, so let me pause before I cover. That was so funny. But yeah, and then he got the Anaconda Vice locked in, hits the Anaconda Buster, Osprey kicks out again. Uh, but Tenzan, you know, Tenzan got to kick out the Oz Cutter, which is like, okay. Um, but yeah, then he escapes the Stormbreaker, hits the Shin Mongolian Chop, very different. Uh, but then Osprey escaped another TTD and, like, deadlifted Tenzan onto his shoulders for a Falcon Arrow. That was really cool and, you know, impressive power from Osprey, who doesn't, you know, I don't think it was a power guy. And then he showed off, like, this new setup for the Hidden Blade. He, like, kind of picked... Tenzan up uh, into a standing position and like spun him like he was going to do a spinning neck breaker and then hit it. Um, I don't know if I love that or not. I mean, it kind of looked like a little bit of a convoluted setup, to be honest, to hit an elbow to the back of the head. I don't, I don't know. What'd you think? Did you like that? I just wasn't sure Tenzan was the guy to try to deliver yeah. that to. I think, it, you know, I think it could have been better with someone who's a little more yeah. mobile. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It it didn't I it didn't land. It didn't land as as well as I think he wanted to. I don't mind the creativity. I don't mind trying it on a show like this in the first round of the New Japan Cup, but I just think uh, you know, I don't know that Tenzan's right. the guy to uh to try uh, that. Then Osprey with. hits a Stormbreaker for the pen. I thought this was great and you know, I went 3 and 3 quarters. Uh, I actually liked it slightly better than Kid and Saber, which I did not expect to going in at all. But yeah, Tenzan, Tenzan always delivers in these singles matches. Yeah, so I think Tenzan looked, I mean, really good here. Um, for you know, for what he is at this point in his career, he showed up and had a had a pretty dang good match. And Osprey, truly teetering towards like exclusively working yeah. a heavyweight style. Um, and this this was really another. Um, another indicator that he's like leaving behind his old, really his I mean, old we'll style completely. Way less from an in-room perspective now than he used to. He used sure. To. Yeah. I, I, I think that's completely fair too. I mean, like, I, you know, I think feats of athleticism aside, I think this is a much more believable um, version of Will Ospreay as a, as a wrestler, as a fighter. So um, and when you put him in a guy like in, in the ring with a guy like Tenzon too, and, and they can pull together a really good match like that, that says something to me. So, um, yeah, I thought this was way better than I thought it was going to be. Obviously the finish was, or, you know, the result was never in question. So that does kind of pull me out of a match usually. Um, but I, they, they way over delivered for my expectations. So I, I ended up really, really liking uh, the match. So the semi-main event was Zack Sabre Jr., defeating Gabriel Kidd in 17-21 with a triangle choke to also advance advance out of the first round of the New Japan Cup. Um, so this match, obviously, it's a lot of mat wrestling. How much you enjoy that will probably depend 
on uh, you know how much you enjoyed the match. I like Matt wrestling, so I you know was into the first ten minutes here, but like it was like kind of all Matt wrestling. So like if you're one of these people that like cannot stand to watch anyone exchange a hold, you probably won't like this match that much. But if you do like Matt wrestling, you know like I do, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, you know, they did about 10 minutes of that, like I said. They did start getting into some more high-impact stuff after that. Uh, you know, Kid threw this very hard shoulder block and then followed up with a corner lariat and a nice head and arm suplex. Um, and then we got some more, like, very hard slaps and European uppercuts from both guys, uh, but especially from Zach. And there was some, also some, like, really cool suplex counters late in the match as they try to convince you that uh, Peter Gabriel, as Zach kept calling him, would would have a chance here. When so I was again, I I watched the promos Incredible. in front of uh, uh, my girlfriend Nicole a lot because you know just they go up at like ten o'clock. I usually watch them right before we go to bed, and she was like, she made me stop, and she's like, "Did he just call him Peter Gabriel?" I was like, "Yeah," and that's when he called his name is Gabriel Kid, and she's like, "He is so weird." And I was like, "I know, but uh, what do you want me to tell you?" perfectly uh, weird there's like a, a very close near fall for gabe gabe kid reversing a uh like zach cradle into one of his own that was a great near fall but then zach reversed another cradle attempt by kid into the cobra twist gabriel got out of it but uh after soon after that he ends up in zach's wacky triangle and zach hitting like the double gun pose as kid had no chance choice but to tap out that was great but yeah i went three and three quarters on this as well so, you know, I'm definitely never going to complain about a, uh, you know, a show like this that has two nearly... What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Four-star matches on tap, so this was a really fun pair of New Japan Cup matches, even if, like you said, the result was not exactly in doubt. Yeah, and I, I, I'm a little surprised that Zach and Gabe went 17 minutes. I mean, that's pretty long for even just any old first first round New Japan Cup match that doesn't involve like the kind of the top tier. But, um, I, I, they they've wrestled before. This is their fourth singles match, so that that kind of shown through to me. Um, and I think that, but I think Kid looks really good. Like Kid's really on the cusp of, um of having you know whatever his next step is i think i mean i think him and suji and yumura like i think they're all kind of right there and they're kind of in a holding pattern with covid not being able to go on excursion and 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 all that so but kids got a lot of experience before coming to uh the dojo so i i have to wonder if they're going to leverage that or do something different with him um but yeah so they they had wrestled on a bunch of what culture pro wrestling shows um a couple of years ago and and i think that that showed in in how they interacted so and i think that 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 helped them out and and obviously um this turned out really well i think that you know uh, gabe kid was never going to beat zach saber jr but um i think that again like you said like if you like the the mat work and like some of the creative holds and and things like that like these guys really they had it together and i they could be an interesting pairing as a kid graduates. I think that could be an interesting kind of comeback feud for him if it's in any if it's any way in the near future. Uh, then we got match number four as you get into the tags here. So this was the team of Shingo, Sonata, Naito, and Bushi 
beating Okada, Ishii, Goto, and Sho. Shingo pitting Sho in 1328 with the Last of the Dragon. Um, yeah, this was pretty damn good. Uh, you know, this was Shingo's hometown. You know, a fan at ringside had a uh, Welcome Home TKG sign, if you missed it. Uh, well, it's not, it's his home prefecture, not his hometown. Like, I think they're like 15 minutes from his actual hometown. But yeah, this was, uh, you know, Shingo and Goto were like slugging it out at the start because they're going to be in a second round match uh, on March 13th in Nagoya. Um, you know, they had a really fun, like, hard-hitting exchange toward the end of the match, too. Like, they, they were, like, trading lariats and stuff. Uh, you know, Goto finally came on top of that with the Ushi Kuroshi just before the 10-minute call. And then Shingo and Sho, like, this is really the Shingo, uh, you know, the, the Shingo show, I guess. Uh, you know, just, like, very, very much all him here for the LIJ team. But, yeah, he and Sho had some really fun exchanges for old time's sake. And Shingo finished him off with a big pumping bomber. A sick last of dragon. Like, dropped him right on his head. Uh, but, yeah, I went three and a quarter. Easily the highlight of the undercard. Uh, quite a lot of fun. And Ishii and Sonata had a very long stare down afterward. Uh, with, like, Ishii, like, still staring oh, at him yeah. all the way across the aisleway. They are going to meet uh, tomorrow, I believe. Yes, tomorrow, March 9th, in Okayama. Another first-round match. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you you kind of said everything I would say about this. It was very much the Shingo show, but I lo- I kind of liked the stare down too because um just how those two interact, you know, Ishii and Sonata, like you're not going to get like impassioned promos from either of them. So just have them stare at each other. Um but yeah, this was well worked, good match. Um you know, I don't I don't love the like immediate full-on down cycle of show after he put up a hell of a fight against um uh hiromu but i think they're he's got to be in some sort of holding pattern yeah. waiting for yo to come back Either to team with or feud with i guess we'll see uh right. match number three we have tanahashi hanare juice robinson and taguchi beating evil white kenta and dick togo tanahashi pinning togo in 1311 with the high fly flow I thought this was very average. Kind of bored me, to be honest. Uh, too much Taguchi versus Bullet Club. And I get why the face team, you know, might let, let Taguchi do most of the work and give themselves a break, but it definitely wasn't thrilling stuff. And, you know, Hanari coming in up the excitement, but only a certain amount. And I don't know. Just wasn't into this at all. I went like two and a half stars. It was just like average. Yeah, it was. This was truly just yeah. a match on a card to me. So. A little surprised Tanahashi, you know, put away Togo with the the high fly flow, but um, maybe he's getting yeah. back in the habit of using uh, that. Match two: the Great Okan and Jeff Cobb beating Kojima and Hanma. Cobb pinned Hanma in twelve minutes exactly with the tour of the islands. This is pretty good. Uh, a little better than you might expect, maybe. One of the coolest spots of the match: uh, Okan. So Koji, Kojima was trying to do the uh, the Koji cutter to Okan, you know, just a normal cutter, and. Okan like countered it with his iron claw like he slapped on the claw from behind him and then after Kojima was briefly weakened he hit the fucking uh the old Jeff Jarrett stroke on him uh just like really really was not uh you know really was not expecting that just a really cool little spot but yeah I thought this was quite a bit of fun for what it was I went three stars on this fun little match yeah, both the Empire guys seem to be hitting a stride here too. So I think Cobb's looked really good. Um, 
since getting back to Japan and, and Okan is, is ever growing. So, um, yeah, totally a fun match. I think Honma looks kind of good lately too. He looks He's more mobile. Or I, something. I mean, I, you, it, like he looks better than yeah. he should, I think. So, I mean, the Suzuki match was yeah. great. I'm sure you talked about that plenty, but, um, yeah, I mean, and maybe he's got a little momentum here. I don't think it's going to go anywhere, but he um, he's at least a serviceable wrestler, which is, is nice uh, to see from opener, Honma. Yoda Suji defeating Yuya Uemura in 656 with the uh, Tokei. Okay. Uh, I guess that's his, uh, his wacky lucha cradle. Yeah, this is, you know, fun little young line yes. opener. Three stars or so. Uh, really not a ton to say about it, but it, it was what it was, you know. Yeah, these guys are great, but they're they're building building up Suji for his big first round yeah. match against uh, Nagata. So that's that's tomorrow, I think, right? Yeah, that's on the yeah, so, yeah it's, so uh, tomorrow, the March, March 9th, 9th in Okayama. Uh, that has the Nagata Suji and Ishii Sonata. Uh, also, another Chaos vs Lij six man this time, and more Bullet Club vs Hantai, and more old guys plus Gabriel Kid against uh, what's against the Empire. But yeah, is Evil doing... Why is Evil... Oh, no, Evil's in two different two matches. Never mind. Uh, Folly's back in action. Yippee. Uh, in the opener. Joy. And then the uh, the first round concludes on Wednesday in Kyoto in the uh, Sandan EK Park Gymnasium. I wonder... Have they ever run a show there before? It doesn't sound like a... It doesn't sound like a familiar I don't know. venue. They've got some... They've got yeah. some weird buildings on this on this first round. I, I know uh, Kyoto. I know the round. KBS Hall in Kyoto. I've been there. That's the one with the uh, with the wacky uh, stained glass. Okay, so they yeah this they oh, have yeah. Right, right, right. This is their first show in this venue ever. So there you go. Um, oh, you know what it is? It's not. So this is in Kyoto Prefecture. I don't think it's actually in. So it's not actually in Kyoto City. So it's in uh, Fuki Fukuchiyama which is like a city in northern Kyoto Prefecture. So, yeah, you know, that gets confusing sometimes if, you know, you don't know anything about Japanese geography. It's like, it's I guess, similar to New York, New York. It's like there's, you know, there's Tokyo City. There's also Tokyo Prefecture. There's Osaka City. There's also Osaka Prefecture. And same thing for Kyoto. So it's a little bit outside of uh, Kyoto City proper. It has a very nice castle park, apparently. So, but I can't say, I've never been there. So uh, Nice. But yeah. It's uh so it's a city like basically like the uh I guess the suburbs of Kyoto, um but yeah the uh the, that's that show so they're, they're debuting the building, and the it's a three match show here with the New Japan Cup matches, so we have Hanari and Jay White in the main event, Yoshihashi versus Yujiro, and David Finley against Chase Owens, and then that will wrap up the first round. The second round kicks off on the eleventh in EM, in EMA. Uh, which uh, features right now? Oh god, they don't have it on the site yet, so I gotta go to my thing. Evil I think that's Tom got the um... yeah, yes, yeah. That top back to the it cycles right back yep. around to, to and where we Saturday here. Nagoya. That's a big one for me. Goto and Shingo and uh, Suzuki Kenta. I cannot wait to see Suzuki Kenta. So, yeah. Yeah, that's gonna be awesome. Those both those matches are gonna be awesome. Yeah. So that's that's a big card. That's and then said, yeah, that's Oscar Saturday. And Zach from the Baycom Gymnasium and uh Amagasaki. And then also the Night Nagata Suji winner against the Ishii Sonata winner. So that's all that stuff I just mentioned, all covered this week on the Patreon. That'll be the only place to hear my thoughts on all of it. So patreon.com 
slash wrestling omakase. Only five dollars if you'd like to sign up. Uh, and of course, if you're in the Pick'em, you might win a free month. So I guess I can do a quick update on the Pick'em. I think the, the standings are probably exactly the same as the last time I did on the Patreon because uh, I, I bet you most people got those matches right. Uh, so so we have five I, I would hope rankings so far. 11 points is perfect because there's been nine matches, plus you get a point for each of the buys. Uh, you're one of them, Chris. I don't know if you knew that or not. <laughs> I... I do know that. The same, same bracket in all of these things. And um, uh, oh, so I'm, I'm perfect so far. Yourself, Peter, Jay Johnson, and uh, Hollywood 12, who I'm almost certain is Griffin from the Voices of Wrestling. Uh, they are all the, all five of you are tied for first at 11 points. Uh, and then we have a lot of other people with 10 points. Uh, it looks like six, it's like 16 people with 10, with all with 10 points. I'm in the group here that has nine points. I've gotten two wrong so far. I had Taichi over Goto, and I had Fale over Yano. So those are the two I got wrong. But yeah, so the nine-point group is 23 through 36. So 13 point, thirteen people. And then we have another, a lot of people with eight points. Wow, 37 through 52. Another 15 people with eight points. And then three people have seven points, so they've only gotten uh, four of the nine matches right. MC Squared has six points, so you've gotten three matches right. Mavs Gillis, the English young boy announcer, has five points, so he's <laughs> gotten three matches out of seven right so far. And finally, bring up the rear, my old friend Aaron Wachowski. I can't spell, I can't pronounce your last name, buddy. I'm sorry, but I've I've legitimately known him for like God, like 15 years or something, um, just from like e wrestling and stuff. But yes, he's bringing up the rear here with three points. So he got, he has one match out of seven rights. So uh, way to go, Aaron. I don't know if you're trying to do this on purpose or what, but it is pretty funny either way. Uh, but there, that is our update right now. Obviously, it's very close. Most people have at least eight points. So, and then the the matches start counting for extra in the in the uh, next rounds. But on the other hand, if you got you know guys wrong in the first round then uh obviously you can't get them through and you can't get points for them any further so but yeah so it'll be uh the the matches will be worth two points each in the second round and then four points each in the quarterfinals and then we'll keep going from there so what should i do for tiebreaker i didn't even think of that i don't know i've put a lot of thought into it because i'm gonna have to handle it for my own too i have a feeling i'm gonna have some ties so um i don't know we maybe maybe we can all you know collaborate <laughs> on what we should do for tiebreakers because yeah. usually you do time uh time of the final but um there, i i wasn't able to to bake in the functionality here just yet so i don't know i'm tempted to go like um if if somehow you win and you didn't get the mm-hmm. final right the guy or the person who gets the final right wins and then kind of work backwards that way whoever has more high uh high rounds correct um ends up with the i mean honestly if, the, if, being if the it's winner. like three people who are tied i can just give you all the month, the free month of the patreon it's not a major expense for me but if it's like 15 people then we're gonna have to do some tiebreakers but uh <laughs> yeah we'll say but yes uh that is the the update over at the uh supportive pro wrestling wrestling omakase challenge um let's get over now to the world of all elite wrestling that is what we're going to talk about now the all elite wrestling revolution card same thing. We'll start at the top and work our way down. And we already said some stuff about this show, so uh, you know we don't have to go super deep on all of it. But there is a lot of stuff I do want to mention here. So the main event, the AEW World Title Exploding Barbed Wire Death Match. I should. I feel like I should put up like uh, 
finger quotes, exploding <laughs> barbed wire death match. Kenny Omega <laughs> defeats John Moxley in 25-11. Um, okay, so there's a lot of things to say about this this match. I mean, the first thing first, the two wrestlers in the match just doing a, a barbed wire death match, they were fucking awesome. I mean, this match, if you completely remove all the shit about explosions, if this match was just the two of them having a barbed wire death match, this was an incredible match. I mean, the two of them worked this like a Japanese style, like big Japan death match where they're, like, they're doing, you know, like no selling. Um, you know, they're doing these big lariats, like Moxie did a barbed wire lariat, which I know I've seen in big Japan before. Like they did this like totally Japanese style, um, you know, where like they're doing all these like head drops and suplexes and stuff in between like bleeding gushers and, you know, throwing each other through these boards and stuff. You know, they had a barbed wire bat and all that. Like, that stuff was all really cool. Obviously, the problem was the explosions fucking sucked. Um, the ones, and, and this was promoted as an exploding death match, so you, you can't get away from that. And, like, the ones on the ropes were, like, okay. Like, I heard some people, in, like, when we were all watching this in the Slack, some people seemed to think they were fine, but, like, you know, having seen, you know, these these matches before i thought the even the rope explosions were pretty like tame you know compared to what i was expecting i mean look the moment they 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 set this they had this set up i saw that like the you know the new japan or not the new japan the aw like geek squad around the ring i was like they're pretty close to the ring for an exploding <laughs> barbed wire death match i don't know if this is gonna work and that should have been i guess my first clue that they were not gonna do big explosions but yeah, the rope explosions were like, eh. I mean, they really weren't that great to me, but, you know, some people seemed more impressed by them than I did. They were all right, I guess. You could be generous. But, like, the first time there was a problem was when Kenny... I don't know I don't know who threw who into what. I think, uh... Let's see. Okay, Moxie, like, okay, he kicked Kenny into the ropes. So Moxie DT Kenny off the apron onto a barbed wire board. Uh, allegedly, this exploded... But it was really more like two little pieces of pyro went off on either side of the board than an actual, like, explosion from the board. And that looked really stupid. Like, that looked like, I don't know, looked like, oh, some pyro went off in your general vicinity. It did not look super dangerous, which is the entire point of these matches. It did not look cool. It just looked like, ah, there's some pyro by this board. I mean, like, to me, if anything, it distracted from... Like, this man just took a fucking DET into barbed wire. I mean, the DET was crazy. But, like, the focus is on these two stupid little explosions, that these little pieces of pyro that don't look cool at all. And, like, yeah, that was just fucking stupid. Like, all it comes down to is they should never have built this up as an exploding deathmatch if they, could, they couldn't or wouldn't deliver on real explosions. Like, that's... I mean, they just shouldn't have done it. And it just really... If they had just done this as a barbed wire death match, people still would have been really excited. The match still would have been awesome. I think the match would have been even better without the distraction of these terrible explosions. And because, like, I thought this was on, like, almost a match of the year level. Like, as far as the in ring work, like, I thought they were doing, they were working so well together in this death match environment that I, I was really ready to pull the trigger on, like, four and three quarters or maybe even five. But yeah, the finish was obviously fucking terrible. Um, I mean, before the finish, we got a really, really cool spot where, like, Mox got an exploding rope break. That was pretty cool. Where, like, he got his foot on the ropes after Kenny hit the one-winged angel. And, you know, there's no rope breaks, but, like, the explosion knocked Kenny back. 
that might have been the best explosion they did. And that you know, at least they, they saved it for a big spot. But then the finish was another goddamn run-in on a show that, as we mentioned much earlier, already had a run-in in, in basically every match. Where it's like, if you have to do a run-in this match, then you know it just seems like Mid South Tony of all pers- of all people should understand that if you're going to do a run-in in your main event. You don't do a run-in in six other matches before that. It seems like basic wrestling one-on-one shit to me. But yeah, they do this, like, you know, this run-in. And, <coughs> excuse me, it leads directly to this ridiculously flat finish. Just like, it, it I mean, I don't know. Did you, did you feel any differently about this finish? When I saw this finish, I was like, how the fuck was that the finish of this match? I hated the finish. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I like. I agree with you about the work in this match, and and I think that um, you know, knowing what I know about these two these two wrestlers, like I'm sure that first explosion happened on the ropes, and they were like, "Oh man, we we're gonna have to work really hard." Um, at least Moxley, right? Like knowing, you know, listening to every interview he does, like I, he's, he's a guy I like hearing speak about pro wrestling. Cause I just, I think his ideals align with mine in in certain ways. And, you know, historically what, you know, he's watched, I've, I've enjoyed and, and, and things of the sort. So, you know, when he saw that the first, I don't know, you know, I hate to flippantly call it a, a black cat, but I mean, that's basically what it was, right? Like it's just a little pop. And when they, when they finally went in the ropes, like it didn't really, that didn't really land. It wasn't really impressive. It was super far away from them too. I mean, there was no, there was no smoke and mirrors, right? This whole match was supposed to, and and any exploding barbed wire death match, you think it's probably going to be filled with smoke and mirrors, especially in year 2021 in the United States of America. Like you're gonna, you need smoke and mirrors. (laughs) And I think they forgot both, right? So like I mean I had a, I I wanted this to be um I wanted this to be memorable um in a whole different way than it ended up being and then yeah like you have you've got an exploding barbed wire death match and you're going to end it with that a was, run that in was so I mean come on like with with Gallows and Anderson running in too I mean like I'm sorry but they're still yeah. kind of geeks right I mean they're I, I get that they're trying to build them up and impacts trying to build them up and all that, but like, they still like, they're still just making dick jokes on podcasts and, you know, trying like, to, I really, I, trying I really to sling blue chew. And, 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 well, that was the finish. Like I never, like I figured, all right, they're going to run in. Max is going to fight them off. And that'll be, but like for that to be, for that to lead to the finish, I was like, right. Oh my God. I mean, why couldn't they just get to the finish where he does the one winged angel on the setup chair, which is brutal. Like we should be talking about that. Like that's a hell of a that's a hell of a bump to take, right? So I don't know why'd you why I mean I I get it. Keep Moxley strong, blah 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 blah, because he'll come back and all that. But that this could not have been his write off at this point, right? Like there's no way they're gonna live with this being the last yeah. we see of John Moxley for a couple of months. So and yeah. I think that was I the mean, look, intention I still went here. Four and a quarter on the match, and not even speaking of anything with the post match. I still went four and a quarter on the match. I still thought it was an awesome match, and I definitely recommend watching it. But like they they were they worked hard enough, and they were on pace to have like a match of the year level match. And that finish 
just killed it for me. And like, you know, and the, and the explosions kind of sucking too, took it down. And I, I think that the promotion, like this was like WWE-esque. And I know people hate when, you know, people make that, that comparison. But this was WWE-esque of the performers going out there and putting on a match of the year caliber, caliber performance and you dragging them down with your booking, whether it's making this exploding when you couldn't actually deliver explosions or whether it's having Gallows and Anderson be in this groan-inducing run-in to end the match. I mean, you know, your booking, uh, Tony Khan, if you, I don't think he listens to this podcast, I doubt it, but your, your booking, Tony Khan, dragged this fucking match down when it should have been a match of the year and was on pace to be a match of the year. And instead, you know, you have to settle for a four and a quarter because, you know, just really just like, why would you do this to them? Like, it just felt like you're you're handcuffing your performers, again, in a very WWE-esque way. It just doesn't make any sense. It's not the kind of thing, I don't expect this kind of thing out of AEW. And just, maybe I should, I don't know. But like, it just really was a very bizarre, very, very bad uh, series of decisions here. Now the barbed wire exploding bat yeah. that he hit Moxley with, that looked cool as hell. I'll give him that. That looked cool. Looked like it was probably pretty painful. Um, loved that, like to be perfectly honest. So if that if that was the only way you can get the bat to the ring, I guess that's that's part of it. But um I don't I think there's probably another way. But um yeah, that that was that was cool. You know the rope, the rope explosions and all that. Like I don't think they were as as great as I thought they were going to be. But also, I mean, if that was, um, if they were, if the other explosions were all of that yeah. level, it would have been like, eh, mildly disappointing, but fine. But right, if every time they go into the ropes, you get a big pop like that, and then all of a sudden on some of this other stuff, you get some bigger stuff with bigger smoke and and all that. Like then I think we're we're not even talking about it, right? But um, yeah, it was all kind of. Uh, it was like a kitty glove version of of a barbed wire exploding barbed wire death match. So, and that that sucks because I think these guys really wanted to go out there and, you know and, reminds me of and put on a hell of a show. A more extreme example, like the big show in JBL on like a, a No Way Out. I want to say 05, They promoted like a barbed wire cage match, and then it turned out to be just a cage with a tiny bit of barbed wire at the top that never really came into play, and that was worse than this. But it's on the same level as far as like hyping up a, you know, crazy deathmatch esque stipulation and not at all delivering. And like, if you really any, I really want to know what the hell. I mean, obviously the post match, especially, you know, that those did not work at all. There had to be something missing there that like was supposed to go off and would have made it look at least somewhat cooler that didn't go off right. But I don't understand how anyone ever thought those fucking Gilberg sparklers. We're gonna get anything but like laughter and mockery because those looked. I mean, again, the the girlfriend test. Nicole sitting here next to me for this, and you know she just she has no idea what an exploding barbed wire death match is supposed to look like. She's never watched one, and but she knows that they're doing a countdown. There's supposedly gonna be an explosion, and these sparklers go off, and these things little things go off, and she's like, "Did something go wrong?" And I was like, "I think so," because I can't I can't imagine how that was what they intended. And <laughs> I sure hope something I went wrong. Because man, I mean, yeah, the crowd starts booing and not in a good way, like in a fuck this shit kind of way. And I just wow, just a 
a hard... I mean, I, 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 people don't really even need me to say much of anything here, probably. I'm sure you've all seen it by now, and, you know, you, you have eyes. But, yeah, I mean, what a, what a terrible post-match angle. What a terrible explosion. Just awful. Yeah, very, very disappointing. And then, you know, Eddie Kingston so sells bad. it like that. I feel that, so bad which, for that guy. I don't know. I mean, like, yep, I feel bad for him and, and Moxley, I guess, you know, like, I don't know that either of them could have seen anything. Um, I don't, and no one came out to like tell them <laughs> like, Hey guys, like it kind of didn't, it didn't land. So we're, we're going to act like we're checking on you, but you all, you both might want to just like get up and look around like you're dumbfounded and get the hell out of here. Like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what else to do, you know, like I, I wouldn't have known what to do in that situation either, but I mean, to be perfectly honest, probably yeah. don't, don't put yourself in that situation. Right. Like, don't, yeah. don't book an like, explosion. And there was then, a, there was you know, a quote. There was, did like you see the, the Tony Khan the sparklers. Well, he was like, oh, well, unless you're going to blow the guys up, there's only so much you could do. Motherfucker, is there some law on the books that says you had to book an exploding barbed wire death match in early March 2021? I don't think there is. So you know what you could have done if you didn't want to actually blow the guys up? Don't book an exploding barbed wire death match. <laughs> Or get out of yes. there before the, the thirty-minute I mean, timer. Complain. People want to complain about that. Like, too. I mean, that's the that's the other <laughs> thing here, right? Why was this nobody around to stop the timer before? Like this thing, no matter what, thirty minutes, like the, <laughs> this stuff was going to detonate. Like, come on, they've like, done that in the Onita. Get out of here, like too, so just. I guess that's why, because the whole thing was an Onita match tribute. But it's like, yes, it's yeah, twenty twenty one. Like that was nineteen ninety five or whatever the fuck. This is twenty twenty one. You're telling me we have not mastered the technology of uh, remote explosions to the point where someone can say, "Hey." Uh, the match is over. Let me hit this big red button and turn. Like, did Acme provide these explosives? I don't. I don't understand. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> that was the main event, folks. It's really a shame because you're. I mean, you're. I I'm pretty aligned with the, how you felt about awesome. the rest of the match. The the match was good. It was about to deliver. It honestly was about to save the show. <laughs> And it just got real messy at the end there, and now it's it's a meme, and that that's not what anyone wanted. I don't think I don't yeah. think that's even what like haters wanted. Um, you know, something like this, you know, in the world of pro wrestling, you want it to deliver, no matter who's doing it. So yeah, shame. it's a shame ratings, it turned out I mean, the way it did. Has to be a rare occasion for me where a, a a big Kenny Omega main event, I'm higher than the consensus because I said four and a quarter grapples at three point nine four. Uh, cage matches at 7.77 which you know and their their one to ten scale would imply like you know three and three quarters but yeah uh just i don't know very uh very very interesting and very you know i don't know people are people did not love that main event as much as i expect them to watching it but at the same time um you know they, it just was a when, when you see that finish you totally get it and they they just I don't know. They they need to call an audible and just not done more interference on this fucking show because it clearly did not need it. Uh, the semi-main event, the street fight. I don't know how you felt about this one. This could be our one area of disagreement. I I thought this was awesome. Uh, Darby Allen and Sting beating Brian Cage and Ricky Starks in thirteen fifty two. I'm not automatically against cinematic matches. I've seen plenty of uh, DDT street fights over the years. I really liked. So, you know, I'm not like as hard against it as. I feel like some other people on this network are for sure. And, you know, this one was like, where, where they get fu fucking stupid to me is when, like, you know, it's 
it's like supernatural powers played seriously, right? Not play for comedy like in DDT or something. And they did not do any of that. I mean, Sting did not have any superpowers. Uh, you know, they just kind of had a street fight that was shot cinematically. There was even a ring in this weird warehouse. So, I mean, the only big complaint I have is, uh, you know, they should not have done background music and announce and live announcers. That's just like, it gave this a weird, like, Mystery Science Theater 3000 feel. Like, these guys, like, talking over these clips. Especially, like, the during the, during the, uh, the entrances, which were, like, even more cinematic. It looks like they're talking over a collection of random movie clips. And it does really feel like you're watching an MST 3K wrestling match. But... Other than that, I thought this was really good. I mean, they, everybody worked hard. Everybody, all the stuff looked good. You have more run-ins here, but uh, if if I had a problem, a less of a problem with the run-ins in this match than anything else, it's like, yeah, of course Hook and Hobbs would show up here. Um, you know, the problem was that they were, this was the, the fifth match of the night, or sixth match, I guess, that had run-ins on the show. But yeah, I mean, like, there were some crazy spots, like Darby uh, doing this crazy dive off a balcony through a crash pad. So I thought this was great. I went four stars on this. Uh, pretty awesome for what it was. Shot really well. Uh, surprisingly close to an actual wrestling match. To the point where I even felt like I could star rate it. And this is one where, like, cage match and grapple are uh, really, like, as far apart as I've ever seen them. Cage match says 8.29. So, like, over four stars. And grapple has only a 3.53. So that was a little interesting to me. But I side more here with uh, cage match than grapple. I thought this was pretty awesome. I I kind of wish they had played it a little more straight and stuck closer to the ring. Um, I don't mind the setting. I think that's kind of cool, right? Like, that's kind of the whole point. Um, you know, And but that's... I, I'm always going to... Te- like, I hated the stadium yeah, stampede. Yeah, I didn't really like it either. Um, I, I, right, like, and, and that was way away from... This was way closer to... to what I would prefer as I guess a cinematic match to be because you could say like it actually started when it started and ended when it ended and it it didn't like it wasn't so obviously like wink wink nudge nudge we did this in a bunch of different takes you know um I I liked the aesthetic I liked the setting I liked you know especially based on the the whole uh feud and and sting and the whole vibe with darby and and team taz and all that so you know i liked this as a blow off for sure um you know i think the stunts were big and good i think sting looked pretty good um especially when they were just like in the ring sting looked pretty good and um yeah right right so and and i think you know part of that's probably because like how do you how do you build suspense with a submission hold in a, you know in a match like this right so you just you don't do that so like that was you know properly put together so yeah i mean i it's hard it's hard for me to look at it and say like that's a great wrestling match because like i don't think it's you know i, I don't think it is i don't i think it was great a great presentation of pro wrestling though um, and I think that those two things can uh, match be number six. different. This is like where the show hit like a really rough stretch. These, I guess, like three matches. Uh, so this was the AWTNT title, number one contendership, face of the revolution ladder match. Uh, Scorpio Sky got pulled down the giant Sonic the Hedgehog brass ring, which was, was funny. Uh, he beat Cody Rhodes, Ethan Page, who was the mystery man, which I know had a lot of people groaning. 
Lance Archer, Max Caster, and Penta L Zero Miedo. Uh, Penta, I can't speak Spanish. I'm sorry. Pentagon Zero. Uh, Pentagon Junior. Where the fuck his name was? Uh, this was, you know, <laughs> pretty terrible. I, I look. I this caused like a big stir in the Voice of Wrestling Slack. Where like, you know, there were a bunch of us burying it, and there were a bunch of us. Uh, <laughs> there's a bunch of bunch of us. Uh, you know bunch of other people who like were mad that people were burying it so much but i thought this fucking sucked i mean even for a like multi-man ladder match which i don't really like like to begin with it's you know it's not a style of match that's over with me i just you know they 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 just don't land me that often like this like there was so much like dull periods in this match i mean this went 23 minutes when you know everything on this show felt way too long like just everything on this show you know just felt like at least a few minutes longer than it had to be. And, you know, people obviously complain about, like, New Japan match length, but, like, you know, the I'm used to now these, like, two to two and a half hour New Japan shows, and even other Puro companies do that now. And, like, this show at like was, like, three and a half hours, and it, like, felt like every minute of it to me, you know? Just, like, was like, what is this show going to be over? Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, this this match in particular just felt, like, way too long, really dull, you know, they were like a bunch of like awkward spots. We had a very early running because we hadn't had enough runs on this show yet. Uh, Jack Evans came out with a boob box and then a Dark Order guy, you know, made a save here. Um, and then, you know, Paige, you know, hit like a cutter on Archer on the ladder, but like in a weirdly like weak way. And then he like started closing the ladder on Archer repeatedly but in a way that looked like goofy and bad instead of cool. It just looked like he was doing it very lightly in a very fake way. And then Archer, Archer like had to stay on his hands and knees for what felt like hours. So Paige could powerbomb Scorpio. Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, he like had a decade. Stand- like, uh, he's just like laying there. And he's like, He's like scooting the ladder around like, to make it line up like, just right, and then he's just like, "Oh, that was a any terrible that it got in the camera shot it too." It's like he's not just laying there; he's on his hands and knees, physically holding himself up in this position for what felt like days. So Paige could powerbomb Scorpio on the ladder and him. It's like, buddy, just get if you could hold yourself up, you can get the fuck out of there. Like, what am I watching here? This looks so stupid. <laughs> Um, you know, this just settled into being very boring. There was, like, one cool spot that was, like, a destroyer on a ladder. That was cool. But, yeah, then we had, like, the endless Cody saga where, like, he, you know, left to go get fucking medical attention. But we could see him in the tunnel for what felt like an eternity. It was really distracting. And it was, like, you know, I know he had a legitimate arm injury. But, like, this was clearly, like, an angle because he came back with, like, the one arm clearly still fucked and was, like, whipping people to his belt. And he got booed. And I'm glad he did because it's like, yeah, I thought what the fans were saying there was like, this is WWE horse shit and we don't really want to see this. Because like they love to do that spot in these multi-way ladder matches where a baby face gets injured and then comes back out. And it's like, yeah, at least Cody didn't win, I guess. I guess that was the only saving grace. But yeah, that was another example of like, you know, WWE bullshit seeping in here. Um, you know, and then Archer chokeslammed everybody except for Paige. Paige low-blowed him. Uh, gave him a razor's edge. I guess that was kind of cool. But then uh, Jake the Snake got involved because haven't had, we got to have two runners in the same match. I mean, you know, can't 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 miss that. Uh, but yeah, Cody 
Uh, Cody allegedly gave Pentagon a Cody cutter, but it looked like they both just kind of fell down. I don't, it looked pretty terrible. And then Scorpio came back, gave Cody an arm breaker on top of the ladder, shoved him off because his, you know, his arm was hurt, and grabbed the giant Sonic ring to win it. And thank God it was over, is what I was thinking when it, when it finally ended. I went, I gave this two stars, which might be generous. This sucked. <laughs> I, uh, multi-person ladder matches usually land with me. So I was actually kind of excited about this, but on paper, as I'm looking at the card before, before the, before the show started, <laughs> I was like, this is a weird mix of people, right? Like, this is a weird, that's a weird mix of wrestlers. Like, I don't know. I guess I could see like Scorpio Sky, yeah. Cody, Penta, right? All in the ladder match. Maybe you throw Lance Archer in there as the base, but like, what are we doing with Max Caster and like the work and the worst kept secret? Okay, in, whoa, whoa. In the world I want to ask this question Page before coming in. So, if you were going to debut Ethan Page, I can think of many scenarios where you should do that. The number one should probably be in a talking segment on your program, Dynamite. If you were going to debut, think of the best ways to debut Ethan Page, Mystery Man in a multi-way ladder match may be, like, the absolute bottom. Like, he does not do anything physically impressive. He doesn't do big <laughs> moves. He doesn't do crazy high spots. Why are you debuting this guy in a fucking multi-man ladder match? Like, what the fuck? Anyway. <laughs> because that's what they do, right? Like, they, so we're, we're reaching the point where we can recognize the AEW formulas, and they're gonna need to pivot from that because they, they always have a mystery team in or you know a mystery in the in the battle royale or whatever they didn't for this tag one which thank goodness um but they they always have a mystery for their multi-person match at pay-per-views which is annoying honestly <laughs> like just book the damn card like I, you know, announce the people, right? Like, so, I mean, but what are we doing with Ethan Page? I got, you know, like I said, like Lance, I, Lance Archer, I feel like he was in the last letter match and it went well. Um, so like, I, I don't know, I guess that's fine. But like Max Caster, like, what are we doing? Why is he in this match? Like, I mean, I know, you know, outside of kayfabe, right? Like his, his tag team partner is hurt and he's kind of, he's got a good personality and he's got this rap gimmick thing. Awesome. Like he, that's all great. I don't think that means he should be in this match, right? Like you're trying to put together a big, huge multi-person ladder match with guys that can like take a big bump and work well together and trust each other and all that. And like, he's real young for that. And I think that, you know, and then you got Ethan Page who's like literally hasn't wrestled any of these guys in years because he hasn't been in the same company with them. So very strange mix. And like Penta's the, you know, Penta in a ladder match, usually great, but um, usually it's with him playing off of, you know, Ray Phoenix too. So I don't know, very strange Scorpio sky, the coldest guy in the room, right. Just coming in out of nowhere and winning this thing, which I guess heats him up. Yeah. But, I, didn't, I didn't see the last um, two weeks of TV. So I was like, know, I they something? and apparently the answer is no, <laughs> no, <laughs> nope. And Scorpio sky is great. Like, don't don't get me wrong at all. Like he's a he's a fantastic wrestler. One of my one of my favorite wrestlers on the AEW roster, but um, like this is kind of out of nowhere. And any of these guys winning would have been out of nowhere though, you know, because Cody Cody's been messing around with Jack, and that was uh, you know that's fine. I get it. You know, I get the business right. But like Ethan Page, obviously out of nowhere, but like also debuting, so that would have made a little more sense to me. 
Um, Lance Archer winning a ladder match, what not fuck? likely. Yeah. Max Caster, I don't know, right? Right, so strange match, came together strangely. Um, wanted to love it because I like, I do, I like these big high spot ladder matches. Like, they're fun. Um, this one is yeah um just, bottom uh, tier for look at uh, 5.85 on cage match so under three stars uh 3.06 on grapple so you know people didn't hate it quite as much as i did i guess but didn't like it either uh the next match below this one was adam page beating matt hardy in the big money match in 1457 about 12 minutes longer than it had to go uh this was so boring you know <laughs> pa- matt hardy God bless Matt Hardy. I like Matt Hardy, okay? I, I, I've i actually liked him in this, like, gimmick as Private Party's uh, man, sleazy manager. I think that gimmick has been a lot of fun for him. You know, this uh, sleazeball, heel, fucking money guy. You know, I, I've, like, enjoyed that as much as I've enjoyed anything with him. You know, it's, at least it's not anything supernatural, finally. And, but, you know, I always liked Matt Hardy as a kid. I, I think he... You know, has a cool. He always had like a cool gimmicks and stuff to me. Like always, just like, uh, you know, like way before the spooky stuff. I mean, so I like Matt Hardy. He was as blown up in this match as I have ever seen a pro wrestler on a major league show. He was so blown up. Basically, immediately, he started falling down like way too early on this clothesline from the turnbuckle to the apron, and I was like wondering. Did he just fall down because he can't breathe? Because that's what it looks like. Like, he started falling down well before Paige made any contact. I guess that the wind of Paige coming towards him knocked him over. But then Hardy got more and more blown up as the match went on. Like, he looked like he was sucking air. Like, he was all red in the face. He was just fucking, like, you know, gasping. Like, ugh, ugh. I'm like, buddy, like, can we end this match, please, before Matt Hardy dies of the air? Like, it was really, it's like, and then the interference started, because, of course, there was interference in this match. God forbid there wasn't on a match on the show. Uh, so Paige hits a dead eye on Matt. One guy from Private Hardy distracts the ref. The other guy gets Paige to stare at him for, like, an hour. So it was like, I thought for a second we were heading for a WWE distraction finish. Uh, then one of them actually hops in the ring before Paige takes him out. Then he takes out the second guy, too. Uh, then he walks right into the side effect and then the twist of fate. That was a kind of cool near fall, I guess. That's about the nicest thing I can say about this match. And then Dark Order ran out to chase Private Party away because you got to get them on the show too, of course. Although they were in the Battle Royal already, so I don't, I don't even... You just got to have people in every segment, I guess. And then Paige hits the Buckshot Larry for the pin. I gave this two stars as well. Like, Paige tried his best and I thought he worked hard, but I just can't get into a match where one guy looks like he's about to pass out from a lack of oxygen. It went way too long, and the distraction interference spots were, like, dumb as shit. Even particularly dumb looking. Like, that, that thing where Paige is, like, walking towards the guy, like, uh, I'm just like, okay. <laughs> I could imagine him making that sound. Um, yeah, I like both these guys. I uh, also have liked this Matt Hardy gimmick. What I don't really understand is going going way back. Why is Matt Hardy the one if, if, if via this Matt Hardy gimmick? Why is Matt Hardy the one with the match on the pay per view, right? Like he, this is this whole thing is supposed to be to build up some of the people he ends up working with, Private Party most particularly right now. So at least that's that's my impression. But I, you know, I don't think this is built to get him over. 
and here we are with him uh, in in the pay per view match, you know, for for fifteen minutes. So, um, it it was. I I wanted this match also to be better than it was because I really like Adam Page and I think he can carry a match, but I just don't think. Again, I just don't think it landed. I don't think these guys have worked with each other enough to have timing down and all that. So, again, um, yeah, uh, disappointed. Kate, they all liked more than me, but not that much more. 6.35 on cage match and a uh, 2.85 on grapple. I think it's, a, oh, it's, the, second, it's the second lowest on grapple because the lowest was the, the previous match, which was Kip Sabian and Miro defeating Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy in 751. I, people really hated this match. Of all the matches on the show... Uh, I didn't really hate this one at all, actually. After I said the last two were really terrible. Um, you know, they, they basically did, like, this Miro and Kip Sabian. They attacked Chucky and Orange backstage during their interview. And, like, Miro sent Taylor headfirst into the glass. That was a crazy bump. And Chuck was, like, bleeding from the arm, too. And, like, along with his head when Miro threw him in the ring. And, you know, Orange Cassie got taken out backstage, too. Um, I will say, Jarrah got a great line in here. You know, it was a rough night for him overall with all the... It sounded like he was about to, like, I don't know, cough up a hairball all night. But uh, he got a great line in here where he said, uh, quote, why would you want to get married on a wrestling program anyway? Wondering why Kip and them were so upset. It's like, yeah, why would you? It's a great question that I've been wondering for many decades now. Uh, but yeah, the match itself, I really didn't think this was that bad. I don't know. I mean, I... Orange came. It was only maybe it was just because it was, it was only eight minutes where I'm like all this other shit. There was these two matches that came after, uh, you know, that were so much longer and so much worse to me. But yeah, I thought I liked Orange coming out to help Chucky. It's this big orange punch on Miro on the ramp and big tope on Sabian and this uh, diving DDT from the top for a two count. And you know, Miro ends up beating Taylor with the camel clutch after. Wait for it. Penelope Ford got involved. And uh, I'm sure people were just as outraged as they would be if she was a small, ball, small ball Japanese man instead of a uh, hot young woman, <laughs> but with a wire, yeah, or or with uh, with a wire. What the hell's Gator use Nux, I guess. Yeah, if she was, if she was, yeah, she, Nux. Gator's with the Nux. If she was a small ball got Japanese the man with a stick. weapon of some kind, people would, people would have been outraged. But uh, <laughs> yeah that's true anyway a ninja turtles weapon. But yeah this match is fine i thought i don't know like i thought you know mirror worked more of it than cap i usually hate cap and I, I thought the orange stuff was fun i slapped a little three stars on it i had a good time i think i wanted miro to just beat the hell out of chuck and call it a day but then it turned into an actual match instead of just a straight squash so but i mean overall i think this was fine um i don't know I don't know that it needed to be here, though. I mean, I guess that's kind of like uh, on a macro sense. Like, did we need this on the pay per view? Was this a pay per view level program? I don't know. And he, you know, he put Chuck through a window and then dragged him to the ring and then couldn't just put him away. I don't know. That that seems strange to me. But you know, everyone they got their time, they got their stuff in, and and yeah, didn't Miro did. knock Penelope off the ring apron? Yeah, so that's gonna be a he thing. Didn't give, that's he gonna didn't turn give a into, shit, which was funny. Uh, hopefully, this this is. Right. Hopefully this is the turning point for the for the Miro character for real, where he's like, I don't care about your wife. I don't care about you. I just want to win some matches and, and you know, you know, be a be a badass. So if that's where we're headed, yeah, the, then the cage then match for people it. and the so, grapple people yeah, hated a lot more than I did. It was 2.41 on grapple, a 4.6 on cage match. So uh, they were not fans, but I thought this was fine. I don't know. Uh, 
match number three was the AEW Women's World Title. Hikaru Shida defeated Ryo Mizunami in 1506. Uh, so I listened to the uh, Voice of the Wrestling Patreon instant reaction today, actually, while I was uh, going out to get my second dose of Pfizer vaccine. And I don't know what match they were watching, but it wasn't the same one I was watching. Because I thought this match was awesome. And it seems like most of the world agrees with me, as I'll get to in a second. So, uh, you know, I thought this was really quite good. Um, you know, they, they they were, like, just dropping each other on their heads with these bombs. And they were hitting each other in the face as hard as they possibly could. And both, like, no-selling and all that kind of good stuff. And then Rio hit this, like, really cool Uranage, followed by this huge spear. She head up top, and I hit the guillotine leg drop, but she'd have kicked out, too. Thought that was a good near fall because, you know, you had just seen Nyla Rose lose in the final to the same move. And, you know, they were just doing these crazy neck bumps. Uh, the straight jacket suplex from Sheeta. Mizunami took right down on her neck. And then uh, very very weird that Sheeta did like an eye poke to set up an inside cradle. I thought they're teasing a heel turn for her. I don't know. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this was really good. The only thing I didn't I think took it down a little bit for me is I thought it lost a little bit of steam by the end where, like, they did go a little bit too long or something. They just kind of ran, felt like they ran out of ideas a little early. But, you know, if you shave like two or three minutes off of it, I would have gone like four plus. But I still went three and three quarters. I thought this was a really good match. You would know better than I would. I, I feel like when I was watching the world title eliminator yeah, stuff from Japan, the ring was smaller. Is that know. is that huh. typical that's a good of? Question. Uh, I think that's just because most... it was a dojo. Okay. Okay. I just I felt like this match was really good, but they were they were constantly either working in the middle or like running way too far, taking way too many steps, right? Because they're they're yeah. this is they're generally smaller, right? And and just their style is to take smaller steps, right? Instead of these big, you know, leaps on a Irish whip or something like that. So that was my only like takeaway of what made this match a little bit awkward is that they they had to like work their way over to the ropes or like they really lived in the middle of the ring. Um, and I, I I just I my only guess was that they're typically when these guys are working together or or even just in general, they're yeah, best the in a smaller smaller. space. I think the rings are smaller so, in Japan than they are in America in general, aren't they? I don't know. I think New Japan's an 18 by 18. Um, and I think that's what... I think size-wise, the AEW is ring WWE is the bigger? same size the as the guy? New Japan ring. Yeah, yeah WWE... Potentially. WWE, I don't, okay, I don't know. Actually, but WWE, I know that there's... WWE both use a 20-foot ring. So that would do it, because yeah, because New, Ju- 20, New Japan okay. definitely uses an eighteen. So foot, maybe like yeah, said. and I think and I think Impact and Ring of Honor both use eighteen foot. So yeah, so that that was that's from Wikipedia. Okay, but but yeah, so that yeah, and then I wonder if the typical smaller ring yeah. in Japan, you know, uh, not even just the Joshi rings, but yeah, some of those probably, rings look really small, or either smaller, probably yeah, sixteen like 16, then, sixteen or fourteen. I think it has to be smaller for the size of that building, probably like fourteen or sixteen. Right. Yeah, and that that was my only critique of this match is that it felt like it took them longer to get to where they wanted to be in in relation to the ring. Um, but it was well worked, and clearly these they they've worked together before, and um, yeah. it was the cleanest it match. That was on the, the card, only match right? in the entire I mean, main card. Not a lot. It did not include any interference. There was there was a post match run in, 
where Nyla Rose and Vicky Guerrero came out, then Britt Baker right. and Maki Ito for a big beat down, and Thunder Rosa made the save. But yeah, it was the only match. I mean, that's sad. I'm sorry. That only one match on the entire card did not fit, feature some kind of interference or run-in. But that, this is it. This is one. So. Yeah. Shocked that we didn't see Nyla Rose during the match. Um, but, yeah, I thought this was really um, good. There and, she was. You know, cage match. Uh, cage match was even higher than me. Cage match gave this an 8.09, which would be like four stars. And uh, Grappa was a little bit lower, but like 3.57. So there's your star rating update. Uh, match two was the Casino Tag Team Battle Royale. There was a million teams in this. Who cares? Uh, the only thing I want to point out is Peter Avalon's partner, uh, Cesar Bonani, I guess, throws some hilariously bad elbows. I don't even really know how to describe them. He looked like he was, like, putting his elbow up and then, like, kind of moving it down and forward at the same time, but, like, in a way that looked incredibly stupid. Like, these were the worst elbows I have ever seen. I have seen, like, first day out of wrestling school, like, people on a fucking indie card throw better elbows than this. These were, like, embarrassing. I don't know how the fuck this guy got on your pay-per-view throwing that kind of elbow. But, anyway, I just point that out because it looks so horrible. Um... The other thing that made no sense on this in this match, so QT Marshall, uh, he's teaming here with uh, Dustin Rhodes, of course, the Natural Nightmares, I think, and they eliminated the Gun Club from behind. Um, apparently, as soon as he did this, we found out that the Gun Club are also in the Nightmare family. Now, you watch the show every week. Did you have any idea that the Gun Club was in the Nightmare family? Okay, I had no clue. I was like, they See, are? Yes, I, I was like, what the, like, who the fuck mm-hmm. is the Nightmare Family, really? I, I mean, I vaguely knew that existed, but I had no idea the gun club were in it. And then Dustin got mad at him. And, you know, QT, like, eliminates himself, walks off, spits his gun at, gum at him. Um, you know, that's gross during a pandemic, first of all. But second of all, I, I got to side with QT on this. <laughs> who gives a fuck? That the gun club are in the Nightmare family. It's every team for yourselves. And you're trying to win a shot at the tag team titles. And you're mad at this guy for eliminating Billy Gunn and his kid. Because they're in the fucking Nightmare family. Who cares? Oh. I actually think it was Billy Gunn's kids. Right? Oh, you're right. You're right. It was Austin Austin and Cole. So you're mad at this guy. That's even worse. You're mad at this guy for eliminating Billy Gunn's children <laughs> because they're in the fucking nightmare family with you? Who gives a shit, Dustin? It's every team for themselves. So this might seem like a, a weird thing to get mad about, and it, I'm sure it is. But I just like, that spot made no sense to me. I'm like, why are you guys, why are you acting like this, Dustin Rhodes? You're the heel here to me, not uh, QT Marshall. But anyway... I was like, what the hell? But um, after that, there was like, okay, we had we had another run-in, because of course we did. God forbid, we, we had a battle royal without running here. Uh, Marco Stunt ran in for the uh, for the jungle fucking oh, yeah. team. The, God, what the hell are their names again? The Jurassic Express. And he, he, he does this Rana on Uno, who like doesn't, I guess, want to take the bump to the straight to the floor because... I guess there are, like, people down there or something. So he, so he takes this Rana. Marco Stunt is out of 
out of uh, view. And then we see Uno just start running down the fucking apron and throwing himself into the ring post and then fucking eliminating himself. I was like, what? <laughs> and the camera's, like, the camera's right on him for this too. I'm like, fucking cut away at least. Like, why are we watching this guy run, run himself? Here I go. Run himself into the post to eliminate himself. I mean, that it looked like a ghost was, like, Iris whipping him or something. And I'm like, what are we watching here? Like, if you haven't seen the spot, I promise I am not overselling it. You can tell them. Like, this is what he did. He ran himself into the post. Uh. <laughs> I mean, from, like, the other side of the ring. I mean, 18 feet, right? Like, I mean, he could have run himself into the other post and it would have taken just, like, a hot second. But he had to go all the way. I mean, it was like running from end to end on a football field. And, like, they, they had just the perfect yeah, they were like behind made it him. look even longer. Like, the, the cam... Yeah, the camera was, like, right behind him and looking up. Like, it was, like, a perfect, like, MySpace picture angle. Like, You're like here I go! Just, like, running as far away as he can possibly get, like, in, into the sunset. And, like, I don't know if that's a bit or if that was a rib or something, but, like... Holy shit! Like he he did. He ran the whole length of the the ring to to knock himself out. And like I know these guys get goofy, and some of the stuff just doesn't really matter that much. But really, man, really that was funny. it was now, it was funny. Um, it was really funny. I still went three and a half on this match, and I'll tell you why. Because Ray Phoenix is amazing, and like it's actually criminal that he was in this fucking stupid battle royal. But like yeah, the end of this was really fun. Like Phoenix, like basically once all the geeks got thrown out. All, like, the, 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 the cool wrestlers at the end, even including, like, you know, not even just cool wrestlers, actually. Like, Silver from uh, Dark Order, he was working hard, and he looked good here. And like, Phoenix, like, was, like, walking the top rope to eliminate him. That was so awesome. And then Phoenix and Jungle Boy had, like, a mini fucking Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker from that Royal Rumble, where they had this awesome final exchange that they really should run back as a singles match. Like, that was really fun. That was enough to get this match to three and a half stars for me. Uh, you know, it went a little too long and, you know, like, like at least the bad stuff was funny. So, I, I you know, the, it had a lot of funny bad stuff and then it had some really, really cool stuff at the end. So, it was enjoyable. I enjoyed myself. It was probably a little bit too long, like every other match on this fucking show. But, uh, you know, it was, it was fun. I liked it. Yeah, I mean, once they got down to business at the end, I mean, Phoenix and Jungle yeah. Boy... That's a that's a match I got to see, right? So that's kind of where we're at with that. Um, yeah, I I I love a Royal Rumble. Um, it's one of my favorite types of matches. It's my favorite, you know. It's my favorite WWE thing they do every year. This was like really a tag team Royal Rumble, and I don't know. It just like didn't it didn't quite work the same for whatever reason. Um, they did a shoot clock too. I mean, ninety seconds between each. Um, and like they had the clock like visible to the camera the whole time which like i respect i get that i love it you know i like the like the times right but um (laughs) i don't know i think there's a reason they don't always do a clock and all those things right so because you want to be able to like play with the emotion of what's going on and if you need to pump someone in quicker and and get it going then you you do that so um but i you know i respect the effort i i love that but yeah, that last sequence, I kind of wanted Jungle Boy to win because he had kind of just built himself up as he's gone as he went through the match. But um, you know, ultimately, that's not how it panned out. But yeah, that that would be they're they're building Jungle Boy um, real slow burn with that. Um, he's um, 
they they put him in big big spots and he doesn't quite ever get over the hump and you know i i, I gotta wonder when the payoff finally comes and it's probably as a tag run at some point with luchasaurus but um this was a good highlight for him and but i think the right team won because the bucks and Pac and um and and phoenix uh, will be yeah, a, so that'll be a hell of a match uh, you know this was fun i was a little bit higher on it than both the sites again cage match said 6.31 and Grapple said 3.22. So uh, don't don't be saying I'm biased against AEW. I'm higher than them on, than the consensus on a lot of these matches. Uh, not you personally, Chris, but the listeners and specifically a few people from the Force <laughs> Wrestling Slack. The opener, the AEW World Tag Team Titles. The Young Bucks defeated the Inner Circle in 1749. It was Jericho and MJF, of course. Uh, this match I fucking hated. Like, I thought this match really sucked. Um, you know, this one I am a lot lower than the consensus, and I don't know. I just thought this was, like, really dull early. The Young Bucks, like, they, you know, they were, they seemed like they were working at half speed to, uh, you know, make up for their opponents here. I mean, MJF is good, but he's not, like, this, the quickest wrestler or anything, and Jericho, you know, looks like he's made of rubber. Um, you know, there was, like, a spot where Matt Jackson was, like, making this face while... MGF was choking him against the ropes. That was like truly ridiculous. Like I, I don't know. Like the, like Will Osprey would have been like, "Hey, buddy, you can tone down the facial expressions a little bit." Um, yeah, like you know, there was like a, you know, pretty cool springboard Canadian destroyer to MJF at one point. Good for him. But then like, okay, Nick does this four fifty. So they they have they have Jericho set up for the Meltzer driver. Um, you know Matt. Matt was already reversed into a tombstone by Jericho. Jericho delivers the, the tombstone. So you can't say Nick was trying to leap into the Meltzer driver. The Meltzer driver, like the tombstone part of the Meltzer driver had already been reversed. His brother no longer had Jericho set up for it. Nick did a 450, a springboard 450 into nothing. He did this 450 and landed on his ass in front of Chris Jericho. And Jericho puts him in the walls. I'm like... What were you even trying to do there? Like, he must have been trying to do that, like, 450 face buster, maybe, or, or something. I don't know. But whatever he was trying to do, it looked horrible. And I don't know if it was supposed to look that horrible if you were supposed to land that far ahead of Jericho. But So it was either a botch or it was just a terrible spot. But either way, that was, like, maybe the worst spot in the entire show. And, you know, I can't believe people gave that spot a pass because that was, like... That looked hideous. Like, he does a 450 into nothing. He, like, lands... Like, I don't even understand what he was theoretically doing in that. Like, if you're Nick Jackson doing a move, like, if this is real, what the fuck was he even attempting there? It looked horrible. Uh, and then the, the parts, like, you know... Basically, the parts for MJF in there were pretty okay, but the parts of Jericho in there were just brutal. And this dragged and... Just went way too long with a million near falls it didn't need. I gave this one and three quarter stars. I thought this fucking sucked. Way too long. Really boring. And had the worst spot the entire night. And this had interference too, by the way. Uh, Wardlow got involved. So the first of uh, seven matches on this show that would feature some kind of outside interference. So um. Yeah. I'm just kind of done with Jericho. That was kind of my that that's really my takeaway from this this match in general. Um, I don't know. I just need him. I I like Chris Jericho. I always have like 
literally since the day I started watching wrestling and when he was in, you know, ECW and, and then in WCW and then I mean he's he's been a staple in my wrestling enjoyment and I kind of just want him to go away for a little while like he does sometimes and then come back and I'll probably enjoy him again and he'll have another hot run but this ain't it um and you know the Bucks can carry a tag match maybe this just wasn't the right style um you know mjf is a little more methodical too and jericho has got creative spots but i don't know that he's got the um i don't know that he's limber enough to kind of really work with the bucks right now and he doesn't sell enough and he doesn't put himself in a situation to look bad um he's very protective of of his performance too i think in general so um yeah and i was i came into the show in a great mood ready to watch some wrestling i'm usually very impressed with AEW pay-per-views um, I was ready, ready to go, ready, ready to watch some some good AEW wrestling. I was excited for you know the build had been great, and you know this this match aside, I think the you know the build for almost everything else had been you know above average, and and this match was at least they they played it up and they had the the angle with Papa Buck and stuff, but um, yeah, I mean I just I couldn't get past the fact that I'm just really over Chris Jericho and, and I, I need him to go and tour with Fozzie in Texas or, or whatever, you know, whoever's already open yeah, and he can go funny. play some, uh, some rock yeah. shows. So that's revolution. I didn't watch the buy-in. Did you watch the buy-in? I was like, I really wanted to watch the Rangers, which was a mistake because they gave up like three goals and a big, <laughs> did I watch the buy-in? Oh yeah, I did. Yeah, um, so I don't have, remember what was on. It was a tag match Baker, with Rocky, Britt, you know, yeah. Britt Baker and, yeah, okay. that was pretty good, actually. Also finished, finished, yeah, finished I don't have a whole lot more to say about it, but it was good wrestling, man. Uh, but yes, so that is Revolution. Look, I don't <laughs> think this is like the worst show. Oh, I didn't give the 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 cage match rating for the opener. Uh, it was seven point fifteen on cage match and like a three point six or something on grapple. So people liked it more than I did. But I mean, you know, those are pretty low ratings, actually, especially the cage match ones for a Young Bucks match. Um. But yeah, the Revolution show overall, I don't, I didn't hate it. I mean, you know, there, there have been worse AEW pay-per-views, I think. Like, I really hated All Out last year. I thought that was, like, one of the worst shows of the year. Um, and I don't even think I liked Double or Nothing as much as this. I thought it was all right. But, uh, you know, I mean, the only... I did watch last year's Revolution, other than that amazingly overrated tag team match. And, you know, I did, I did watch Full Gear, which I thought was a lot better than this show. But... Yeah, I don't know. I just, I mean, these paper, these pay per views, they rarely land for me anyway. So like, um, you know, I can't say I thought this one was like the worst AEW pay per view I've ever seen, but you know, uh, Griffin, who was on the uh, New Japan Pick'em, the last week on the Patreon, he he he's a voice wrestling contributor. He made the point in the Slack earlier today that he thinks just AEW works way better as a, uh, you know, as a television product than as a super show product, and I think that's very much true. I mean, Dynamite, most weeks lately, I use, when I watch it, I usually enjoy it this year. Uh, these pay-per-views, I mean, this show was, like, fine at best. I mean, really, you know, the their, their, their booking style is just way too all over the place and way, and we talked about this already, like, way too much, like, you know, get everyone on the show to make for an enjoyable super card. I mean, they, they just, they had, you know, they had one singles match in the show, uh, or two singles matches in the show that had no gimmicks. I mean, that's just not what I want out of pro wrestling, usually. I mean, you know, 
I mean, they had three singled matches on the show total. Even if you count the, you know, exploding barbed wire death match. And, you know, we talked about all the run-ins to death. It just, I mean, this is not my kind of uh, pay-per-view. It's not my kind of supercard. And, you know, I'm not surprised. I didn't love it. And uh, I think they need to fucking chill with all the run-ins. Chill with all the interference. Stop trying to get every, every goddamn person on the show. And, like, let the wrestlers breathe a little bit more. And just let... Just start letting people have some matches. Because, I don't know. We don't need a... Do we really need a 30-team battle royal and six-way ladder match and every, all this shit on every show? I, don't, I mean, I maybe I sound like Jim Cornette or something, but I, I, I don't think we. I don't think we do. No, I. I one of them. One of the big matches would have been okay, but I mean, when you have two, it's kind of. It actually is kind of confusing. First of all, um, and yeah, I mean, th- here's the thing, like. They they load the stipulation matches onto, um, I mean they, they load them onto these pay per views and they have like almost just normal wrestling matches on Dynamite, which I think is you know why I've enjoyed Dynamite so much and why some of the pay per view cards have been really good. Like I don't think there was any big stipulation matches on last year's Revolution. I was in the building for and i i enjoyed it 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 rocked from from top to bottom i thought it was a really good card so um you know i don't mind a ladder match or a table match or you know whatever like some of the some of the typical tropes or you know even the exploding barbed wire death match right but um you know like i think one big stipulation match on a card should be the highlight right like instead of a ladder match a Battle Royal, and, um, and then this lot, the cinematic street lot, fight, right? It's just yeah, like every match has a has a step, has a gimmick. So, I just a couple more, just like regular ass yeah. matches would have been would have been really fun. Um, or just transitioning some of these. I mean, I get the tag team street fight turns into a cinematic thing, but, and they, they actually shot that as straight as I think they could in that way. But um, yeah, I mean the ladder match, the battle Royal, the, the cinematic match, the barbed wire, like what the, you know, which, which match is this? And then you really only had the two titles on the line. Well, the three, right? So you skip the you skip the good singles match from a from the TNT title because you had Darby included on the the street fight. So, um, yeah, I mean, unfortunate that this one didn't land. I thought the build was really good, um, and I'm I'm I am super curious to see where they go with that main event angle. But um, you know what what I will say about AEW pay per views is they do typically blow off the feud. Um, you know whatever it may be, they don't typically just like run them back constantly. Um, at least even with Moxley and Omega, they've given them some space to breathe, um, between the, between the matches. So, um, I do appreciate that. And, you know, typically it's a big reset right afterwards. So I'm, I am curious to see what direction yeah, I mean, some of these, you know, these, um, some of these guys end up going. Like what they're kind of going for are like these big DDT super cards, but what they got to learn from the, like, if you look at like a big DDT super card, they usually have like at least two or three, like big singles matches, right? If you look at like Ultimate Party, you know, you had uh, Endo Sasaki mm-hmm. on top, and then you also had like Akiyama Takeshita and Ueno and Brooks, and like, you know, uh, like just, and then you have a bunch of like, you know, comedy matches and like wacky stipulations, maybe, or like just wacky tags. But like, I don't know, they just, they, they need a couple, like, I, get like a few more like straight up 
singles matches on these shows is what I think they need to do. And I think these shows will breathe a lot better. As it is, I just think it's like, you know, they just feel very overstuffed and they got to chill out in the interference a little bit. It's just like, it's very similar to Castle Attack Night 1 where like the sheer amount of it is driving me crazy. And they, they it just is not, it's not fun to watch it. It's like very groan inducing. It's like, oh, here we go. More people interfering. And it's just like, I don't know. They got to get away from that a little bit. Yeah, especially if that's something that you're you're sensitive to because of the you know criticism of other yeah. companies too, right? And I we know they pay attention, right? We we know. I mean, Tony Khan was he, he was uh, throwing shade at at Gato's booking on on Wrestling yeah, Observer. Fact, so I mean, the, you know, he knows. So the fact that I he mean, would do that a little self aware, little self awareness would help. But uh, anyway, uh, and you know, and people don't like to hear about it. Mm-hmm. But they they did say when this company first started, that this would be a clean, you know, a clean fight promotion without interference. And it sure as fuck has not been that. Okay. So that would do it, I guess, Chris. We've gone pretty long here, but uh, thank you for joining me here on this Monday night. Uh, anything you want to plug? I'm sure the sport of pro wrestling. Yeah, just sport of pro wrestling.com. That's where um, all my, Statistical databases live, um, you know, New Japan, um, AEW, NXT, Dragon Gate, um, a bunch of bunch of different stat slices, as I like to call them. So and I'm I'm working on some pretty big uh, updates to the site there, too. Um, other than that, you can find me on Twitter at the Chris Sampsa, T-H-E-C-H-R-A-S-S-A-M-S-A. Omakase Patreon one more time. I'm going to be doing daily audio this week on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, Saturday and Sunday. So you'll get like, if you sign up right now for $5, you literally get a uh, dollar per show just for this week. And then you get the entire rest of the month too. So it is a great deal. Uh, you can see it all or listen to it all at uh, patreon.com slash wrestling Only five bucks. All our New Japan Cup coverage uh, for the rest of the month. Uh, the next time we're here on the free feed will be next Monday. So another Monday show on March 15th. Uh, I'll be joined by TJ from the One Wrestling Podcast. We'll be covering the New Japan Cup show from next Monday, the March 15th show, uh, which is another second-round show from Corrigan Hall. And then we'll also be covering the All Japan March 14th Corrigan with the World Tag Team title match and the DDT Corrigan also from Sunday, March 14th with the, uh, I believe that's the Extreme title main event or Universal title. I don't know off the top of my head, so I didn't look it up. But those are the three shows. It's definitely not Akiyama. And Higuchi. That Akiyama Higuchi is the March 28th Gorkin. Uh, but yes, that'll do it, folks. So thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at WrestleOmakase, Wrestling Wasn't Fit. And we will see you next time.